The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hey, Joe. Hello, David. Always good to see you, my friend. How yeah, are you? Likewise. Feeling great. Uh, I enjoyed you on the Lex Friedman Podcast. I learned some things. Me too. <laughs> I learned that I like the guy. He's the best, isn't he? Yeah. He's a, such an unusual human being, a brilliant guy who's uh, incredibly humble. He's uh, both a martial artist and uh, an AI scientist. You know, he's, I love that guy. He's so, he's so special. Yeah. A philosopher, a poet. Everything. Yeah. And he's like, so he's so real. Like, and he does, he, he pushes himself in these very unusual ways. And I think a lot of the reason why he does it to examine his own mind and to examine his own potential. Like he does it as a scientist, but also as a brute. He's a weird combination of the two things. Because, you know, he's a like a legitimate black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's really good. No way. I yeah. didn't know that about oh him. Oh, my God. You didn't know? He doesn't look like he could hurt a fly. Oh, Lex will fuck you up. Oh, no. Like Lex is like a legit black belt in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Okay. Now, very good. Now I'm amazed. But Yeah. Everybody I know that's trained with him is yeah. like he's very good. Okay. Well, what I also didn't know about him is he's been too busy to have much of a social life. So you and I and... Everyone else should try and find him a good woman. <laughs> That's one of my goals now. I, the the good woman thing is God, the good man, good woman thing. That's uh, that's one of the the keys to success and happiness in life. And it's so hard to find the right one. And maybe sometimes for some people, hard to recognize if you found the right one, even if you found them. Well, the problem is that we're finding them in our teens and twenties often when we have no idea what the other sex or, or the partner that you're looking for really is. And I have a theory that when you're young, you look for the opposite. You're attracted by what you cannot do. Uh, but as you get older, you really want to go for someone who's more like you. Right, where you have a friend. Yeah. Someone who you can talk to about common interests. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But it's tough. Uh, you know, the whole dating thing is, is crazy. Most of it's done through text now, and you've got to try and figure out somebody through the internet. And there's all these games about when do you reply, how long do you wait, emojis or not. Ew, it's emojis are not. <laughs> That's right. um, what a 2021 dilemma. Emojis are not. Yeah. Yeah, don't overdo the emojis. No, no emojis? Well, I'm not an expert. Back in our day, we were lucky to meet a girl at a bar or something, but uh, these days I think it's it's harder, especially well, during COVID. I'm, I'm happy I'm married, but if I was single, I'd be doing confetti, emojis, the big heart that blows up. Whoop, I'd do all that shit. <laughs> you'd have a balloons. Mil you'd have a million Ooh. women after you, Joe. No, I I think um, I think emojis are fun. Jamie thinks they're a different language. Jamie thinks that emojis are the beginning of the next hieroglyphs, and he said it, and a light bulb went off in my head, and I'm like, I think he's dead right. I think one day we're gonna commute. I really believe this. That and maybe you can help me out on this. I think that if someone concocted a universal language, a language that every country could adopt and understand, and they did so. In um, it, you could do it in the form of a game where it would be a, a like as you're getting better at it, you score points and you do you know you do better. Like say if you're playing like a Call of Duty type game, and in that game you, in order to increase levels of the game, you must learn this new language, and this language is uh, an image-based language that interprets intent through some sort of emoji character system that doesn't require English or kanji or any, any sort of letters or any sort of way that we interpret sounds and language. 
just some new, complete new thing. Kids would right. learn it quick. Well, they ha- well, they already have it. It's their Esperanto, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. I right. mean, I, I, you and I can talk to someone in, in Japan, and they'll know what we're talking about. Right, but how many people have adopted Esperanto? Uh-huh. One. <laughs> but it was an idea. And that person's dead. Yeah. Right. It was an, but it was an interesting idea. But I think that if someone came along and did something in the future, just like think how quickly people adapted to cell phone use. In the 1990s, no one had a cell phone. It was There was no cell phones. You just went about your life. And to call someone, you had to call them at home. And then in the 2000s, everyone had a cell phone. I mean, literally, it went from like 1991, no one has a cell phone. 2013, everyone has a cell phone. And everyone has a smartphone by then. So it's a completely new world in the span of 12 years. That's unprecedented, right? It is. Well, it's, it's similar to the turn of the 19th to the 20th century where all these gadgets showed up and people were hyper-stressed and agitated with anxiety. And we're seeing the same now with yeah. this super change. And the kids adapt, but a lot of people our age, we're roughly the same age, are, are just trying to play catch-up. You know, what, what's the latest emoji? In fact, laughing is a skull. Did you know that? Laughing, yeah, dead. Yeah, so you know yeah. this, but th- I didn't know that. My kids thought I was, I was an that's, old guy. You know where that comes from? That's black culture. Like, huh. yeah, yeah. When that's that's something adopted. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like black Twitter, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I guess I was gonna ask you if you guys know what a hat means. No, Did you see the hat because it's like it's What's two levels deep. So a hat would mean cap, cap or no cap. Right? Do you know what that means? What means cap you're li- on someone? No, shoot him. It means you're lying. A what? Yeah. Really? If someone says, like, if they make a statement, they say, that's no cap or whatever. That means, like, I'm not lying or they'll call out you're lying. Why it's cap? Ca- what is cap I mean? don't know. That's the part. I, I don't know. It's just this is one of these things that's come out of internet culture that you just sort of have to, like, what the fuck are they talking about? Am I wrong about dead? Is that No, you're 100% that, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's black Where Twitter, it came right? from, I don't know the exact part, but probably. I when I see, like, when yeah. I follow, like, funny black dudes and they, they wrote, write dead. Yeah, and dead, as, dead, a, dead, <laughs> dead as fuck or whatever, like, <laughs> AF. Yeah. And they have a bunch of skulls after someone says something like funny. Cap is something new that's popped up that I've yeah. seen a few people asking, like, what does that mean? And I was going to see if you got it now. That's, no, no yeah. man. I, got, I rely on Jamie because he's younger. Right, but it's a constant Barely. effort to keep up with this stuff. <laughs> Jay, that young Jamie thing is like, hold on eventually, eventually we're going to have to change it to not that young Jamie. Got fingers holding on. <laughs> this is fascinating. We can watch a new language evolve Yes, in real time. It's yeah. really great. It is. And, it, it, and it's driven by kids. And it's driven by these interactions. It's like every now and then a wave catches on. And like a bunch of people hop on the wave and they think it's fun. And then they'll start doing this thing. And then that thing becomes like... Like eggplants. When did eggplants become dicks? I don't know, but they're dicks, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you saw an eggplant in a cap, what would you say? <laughs> uh, now I'm confused. Yeah, you're lying about your dick. That's, that's, the, that's where I'm going with the emojis. Like, yeah, it would happen. You'd fall into. You'd be like, what the fuck does this mean? Yeah, kids know. Well, you said that like it was years ago that you said that. That picture we pulled up. I was trying to think who who asked us where there was two people and a turtle in between it. Like a week or two ago, it mm-hmm. was in like a, it was sketched on a wall somewhere. Yeah, that turtle supposedly means like it's a sign of fertility. So that was sort of like two people, maybe were having sex or they were bonded in some way or another. Was that um the Gobekli Tepe image? It could be. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 But you know, well, we live in a crazy age. We do. It's fun, but stressful. For, Stress for a lot of people. Well, and for your study, for the study of human life extension and anti aging. When you look at the stresses that are completely, they're very novel to the human experience, like the stresses of social media, the stresses of cell phone use, the stresses of blue light, like staring at screens at night, like all that stuff. 
Like, how much of an effect do you think that's having on people, and have we even quantified that yet? Uh, we are quantifying it, and it's having a real negative effect. Mental health issues is, is going to be the medical problem of the 21st century, no question. There are companies that are doing these uh, remote video chats with a psychologist or psychiatrist. They are booming. These are the next billion-dollar companies. Really? That, yeah. I mean, you want to, anyone want to make money, look into that. But we are living in a stressful world. And we, part of it's because we don't have much else to worry about. We've gotten rid of all the major worries. Wolves. Yeah, we don't have to. We're not on the savannah anymore. We're not going to get yeah. picked off by uh, a cheetah. Well, a yeah. lion probably. But we built this world. We, you know, Six million years ago, the first hominid ape-like thing was up in the tree, walking around actually upright, which is interesting, right? It wasn't swinging from the branches. That picked up a stick. That animal picked up a stick. And that was put us on this treadmill where we are today. Innovation after innovation, tool after tool after tool. But in response, our bodies have deteriorated. We only build our bodies as much as we need to. So if we've got tools and we can throw rocks, we don't need a lot of muscles. And in fact, our head just expanded so we could build better tools faster and faster. And, you know, the culmination of that is an iPhone. But where are we going to be in another 100,000 years? It's really scary because this treadmill, we cannot get off it. There's no going back. There's no stationary because we've got problems that we've already created from our own technology that we have to solve with better technology. Mm. So that we're a species that once we've picked up that stick, we're on this path. And those things that got us here, there are actually four traits that I th can think of that got us here that make us different from all other animals. Those are our, not just our what got us here. They're our biggest threat. And, but we also have to use them to get us out of this problem. And what are those? Well, let's see. So the first one is tool making. Okay, no big deal. We've got hands that have evolved to throw rocks, shoes, um, our feet actually are built for shoes. Imagine that. They're all these genes that we've... Our feet are built for shoes? Yeah, yeah. Our feet actually are... We've had shoes for so many years that we've got feet that fit shoes. It's, Have you ever seen what it looks like when those guys in the Amazon walk around with no feet and they develop these hand-like feet? No. Oh, they no. can pick up stuff? Oh, no. You have to see this. Because what happens is when they walk around barefoot in the dirt for so long, their toes develop the ability to grip... So they're gripping the ground. So their toes, instead of being like a person who wears shoes all the time where the toes are all connected, they splay out like hands. That's very strange. That makes sense. I want, I want that. I want uh, my friend Steve Rinella was in uh, Guyana, and he was uh, hanging out with his tribe, and they, li they live in the forest. And, like, look at their feet. That's incredible. Maybe that's the way we should be. Well, that's the way I think people lived when they lived in the jungle forever. This is the Huarani. How do you say that? Huarani? <clears throat> um, this is the Ecuadorian rainforest, these people. This, um, when you look at their feet, <clears throat> I think it's soft ground, and they're walking around in dirt all the time, and they their feet splay out, and they develop the ability to like push off of things with their feet. So it's, it's the exact opposite of the way human beings develop bunions where they smush their feet into like these shoes that don't really fit human feet and then they get these weird bunions where their toes are pointed towards the other toes. This is the opposite. They spread out like fingers. Yeah. Well, we can trace the genetics of this. We, we become a very weak species. If you get into a, a fight with a, with, you know, let's say a chimp. Let's say a house cat. Even that will yeah. bite you off or a dog yeah, will eat your face you off, right? We're, yeah. we're at their mercy. But even the strongest human cannot beat your average chimp or any chimp. For Not that even matter. close. We're pathetic. So we're, no. we're basically a, a lollipop physique. We're a stick with a big head. But 
that's because we've had these tools for so many years. We've had fire. Even our guts have shrunken down. We don't have long intestine. So he put us out in the wild. We're screwed. We can no longer exist in the wild. Yeah. But I live in Boston. I'm out there in the winter for maybe 10 minutes. I'm dead. So that's who <laughs> we are now. We are this pathetic physical species that has built tools that are got us here but are actually messing with our minds. The, the blue light, the chairs we sit in, the food we eat all the time, these have made us a weaker species. So what I'm hoping to do with my research and, and some companies I'm building is to get us out of that problem and engineer our way out and also make wellness and health a thing that people actually can take care of themselves. And what are the steps that what, there's one thing that people can do and exercise is a good one, right? Because of the fact that we live these sedentary lifestyles and most of the time people are sitting down and there's a lot of time spent standing at screens. How important do you think it is to get out and do something and what kind of an effect does that have? Like what kind of quantifiable effect does that have on life extension? Oh, it's very clear. There, there are two things you can do uh, that are well known to extend your lifespan. And when I say extend lifespan, I don't mean be older for longer. I mean be healthier in your 80s and 90s. Like my dad, who's turning 82, who's got the, the physique and mental uh, aptitude of a, probably a 30-year-old. He's stronger than me. So you want that. Okay, so what do you have to do? Well, you have to start early. You can't just start when you're 80, although it helps, but it's not the best. Do you want to just get out of the chair? People say walk, but I think it's better to lose your breath become hypoxic, you know, hypoxia chambers or hyperbaric chambers. These stress the body a little bit. So run for 10 minutes a few times a week. That's what I do. Um, and you don't have to run for hours. It's just 10 minutes is enough. Go biking. So it's a fact that people who regularly ride bikes, and I think it, it was something like up to 80 miles uh, a week, they would have a 40% less chance of having a heart attack than someone who didn't do that. So it's a massive change. It's not just a little thing at the margins. Massive changes. The other thing is, which I do, uh, is to skip meals. So it's not that hard. I, I now feel weird if I eat a, a meal for breakfast or lunch, and I try not to snack too. This, this idea of nutritionists, three meals a day plus snacks, never be hungry, is killing us. It really is. And we know that if you do these things to animals in controlled settings, they live longer, a lot longer, 20, sometimes 30%, because they're healthier for longer. They don't get cancer and heart disease and uh, dementia. So I don't know why we don't all do that. I just think we just like to sit around and eat. It's, well, it's, it's good. It feels good to just <laughs> eat chips, yeah, but have don't M&Ms. do what just feels good. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But is there, like, so when you talk about um, how eating one meal a day can extend your life, is it because when you're eating all the time, you're taxing your digestive system, which taxes your resources? Or is there some sort of a, a, a mechanism that leads to decay of the human body from overconsumption? Like, what is it? Yeah, so overconsumption or just consumption in general makes your body complacent. And we know this in great detail at the molecular level. There are genes that respond to how much you're eating and what you're eating and whether you're exercising. And these are called longevity genes. And they give our body resilience and fight aging and slow down what we can now measure the biological clock so I can take your blood or actually now we've developed a very cheap test just a swab to be able to tell you very accurately how old you are not based on how many times the earth goes around the sun that's ridiculous age is just a number you can actually take the swab I can tell you how you are, how old you are really but then using real science tell you how to slow that down and this is really cool just in the last few years we figured out you can reverse human aging as well well um well, you and I have talked about this before, but I'm doing hyperbaric treatments. I've done 40 of them, 40 90-minute treatments over the past few months. How's it feeling? I don't know. I feel pretty good. 
good. But I always feel good. Uh, That's what's confusing. Well, like I've been doing the, so much shit for so long. Yep. Like so I've never you, stopped. You don't know what's working. That's right. the problem. So this test that I'm developing, uh, which will come out later, uh, probably this year, is how do you know what you're doing is working? This is a big problem for everybody. And you don't stay motivated if you don't see it. We, we have dashboards on our cars. We know how fast we're going. We know if the engine needs work. With our bodies, we don't know that. And we if you go to guess. the doctor once a year, they don't know much either, to be honest. I mean, some of my best friends are doctors, real doctors. But what you need is one number at the top to rule them all. So you can measure things. You can wear rings. You can wear these wrist uh, watches. I do a lot of that. I, I put these things on my chest. But it's really complicated. It's expensive. It's confusing. What you want is one number, and that's your biological age, which the test that I'm developing. And I want to democratize that because right now the people who are doing all of this stuff are the really rich people. Uh, and most people either don't know or can't afford it. And the hyperbaric treatments, the reason why I'm doing it is yeah. because of that study out of Israel. You want to tell people about that? Uh, yeah, so this is a, a study out of Israel. It's um, a group that has uh, a chamber built by Germans, which is ironic, over in Israel. And that, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so I went in this chamber, actually. I visited them uh, before COVID, some of my good friends over there. And what they do is they put you, you probably, I don't know if yours is the same, but this is a really big room and you can fit about 20 people in there. And they give you oxygen, so extra oxygen, and then they raise the pressure up. And then they drop it and raise it. Is that what you've mm -hmm. been doing? Yeah. And so what happens, I think, to the body is the body's going, oh, shit, I've got too much oxygen. So it responds. And then the decreased oxygen makes you feel hypoxic, like running. So this is a way of getting, in my view, exercise without having to exercise. And then you turn on these longevity genes. And I would bet, though I haven't proven it yet, though I am working on it, is that some of these genes that we've discovered, the sirtuins, was discovered to be involved in aging. We didn't discover them. Uh, are activated by this hyperbaric chamber. And what they showed in this paper that got probably you excited as well as everyone else is they looked at the ends of chromosomes which shorten over time, the telomeres, and actually got longer after this uh, therapy. And that is a sign of reversing aging. It's not as good as the clock that I'm developing, but it is a good sign. And they decided after examining these people from 90, min or 90 days doing 60 sessions that it gave you the equivalent of 20 years decrease in biological age because of the, the length of the telomeres, which is super controversial, right? It's certainly controversial. Everything's controversial in science till it's been repeated and you, it takes 10 years for people to But it's to also it. controversial, the, the concept of telomere length being equal to biological age. Well, yeah, it's one aspect. I would say that it's not that controversial, but it's, it's certainly not the only determinant of age. What I think, uh, and as I wrote about in, in my book, is that this biological clock, which is literally chemical changes to your DNA over time, is the real number. Telomeres are out there. They're like the, the wristwatch for, for health. They don't, that doesn't tell you your real age. It's an indicator. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it's not believed by a lot of people, and I'm kind of skeptical to some extent, is that telomeres get shorter when cells divide. Not all cells divide. Your brain doesn't divide, right? Not typically. Um, and also, the telomeres can vary quite dramatically if you measure them one week after another one month after another, they're jumping around. The test isn't very accurate, whereas the one, what I, what's called the epigenetic age test or a Horvath clock named after my good friend Steve Horvath, that's much more accurate. That doesn't jump around unless you actually do something to either slow down or reverse aging. So I would say that you want to do this test. We should do a mouth swab, get you our test, and you, know, you can decide if you want to release that number, but I bet you're younger than you are, and we could tell everybody. Okay, let's do it. All right. Sounds okay. good. And then Should we I to... complete the 60 sessions of the hyperbaric chamber first? Well, 
you should do that anyway. Then we'll give you a washout period. And a then washout we'll period? Yeah. How long? I don't know, probably a few months, I think. For let it let it settle in? Uh, yeah, but you can sign up for it. Well, I'll, I'll okay. put your email in there. Everyone I'm down can sign for up. whatever you're doing, dude. I'm listening. All right. <laughs> Tell me what to do. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I, we just put up a website because I thought people would be interested in this. So it's Dr. Sinclair. Spell out Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R Sinclair.com. If you want to sign up, there's a few. Is D-R Sinclair taken? Uh, yeah, we didn't get that one, I don't think. Yeah. I, too slow. Well, doctor like Jamie.com. But it, snatched it. There's a certain it. limited number of these tests. Um, but yeah, age we, is just a number. Find yeah. out how fast you're aging. Join, join Dr. David Sinclair's wait list. So I'm doing this. You know, I, I've had a fortune in my life. I don't need to make a lot of money. But what I need to do, what I want to do, is to make everybody aware of their health and how to benefit. I mean, you and I, we read a lot about this. We care. But most people either don't have the time or the knowledge or access to the people we have. This yeah. is what I want to do. And it starts with this number, this this overall arching top level number like your credit score. You know, if you if you don't you can look at things like did you pay your electricity bill, uh, did you pay off your car? Those are similar to the watch and the rings that you can wear and the heart monitors. But the credit score is what matters. And this number that we can tell you is really what tells your inner core age. And it's irrelevant really, largely irrelevant what how many birthday candles you have. And what's really cool about it is that we didn't know until recently that if you do certain things like hyperbaric oxygen chamber or there's some things you can inject into yourself in one study, you can reverse human aging. What's and, the things you can inject into yourself? Oh, boy. All right. I'm not endorsing doing this, but there is a study that came out looking at this clock that will measure for people for not a lot of money. And, and so this group, they put uh, a few things into the body of patients, and it was for a few weeks, and they measured the clock, and they measured the thymus, which shrinks as you get older. So I know you want to know what they are. All right, let's list them. Metformin. <laughs> Metformin. Growth hormone. And a, uh, a precursor to hormones called DHEA, mm. which goes down as you get older. And that rejuvenated the thymus of these people. It was very clear. And the clock went back by years. The metformin thing is controversial, right? Because that is uh, a drug for, what is it for? Diabetes? Yeah, high blood sugar. Right? High blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And what what's controversial is that decreases physical performance in athletics. All right. Well, so I'm Am I right about that? No, no one's right about that no? that I know of. So oh. I, I've read the papers. I don't know how many people have actually read the papers. Okay. Uh, so he, here's what the papers say. First of all, the difference is tiny. You have to squint to see it. Oh. And they also change the axes so that it's not zero at the bottom. So that's that's cheating to begin with. Second of all, the muscles of Can you those, explain that? Explain what you just glossed over real Yeah, quick? science speak. I apologize. That's okay. Okay, so you... If a, if a graph looks like that, right? I'm, so I'm, I'm showing so my hand as So for people that are just axis, listening, yeah. like a hockey puck. Yeah. Right? So it, it's a, or a hockey stick, right? A two-dimensional graph. On one on one axis, the, the vertical axis, uh, you've got one number. Mm -hmm. And on, on the other, you've got uh, the, basically the, the treatment. And if you what you should do as a good scientist is that bottom number always in the corner should be zero. Okay. But you can cheat. You can actually say that that vertical axis starts at 30 and the difference is you know 33 to 35 and then your eye psychologically thinks oh that's a big difference but actually if you stretch it out to back to zero it'd just be a tiny little difference so there's a minuscule difference in discernible physical performance but it's also worse than that it's also it's been misinterpreted this is the bane of my career is things being misinterpreted because people don't have the time to read it the other thing is those muscles were just as strong whether you're on metformin or not now the difference 
in that little difference in that graph was the size of the muscle. So if you want hypertrophy, you want to build up, you want to bulk up, yeah, metformin may reduce that slightly. I think it was 5% difference, something like that. But for a professional athlete, 5% difference is astronomical. No doubt. Right? I, I'm not saying that. But for what a I, sprinter, yeah. right? Imagine when you're just like literally trying to be one half of a footstep ahead of your competition. 5% means everything. Yeah. But, but I'm, not say, I'm not speaking here to professional athletes necessarily. Right. But there's another, there's a third misconception. Isn't it? It's crazy yeah. how, how this stuff becomes memes. It turns out that the reason it, that the, uh, the exercise doesn't build as much muscle is that you just get a little bit tired when you do the reps. But if you have the willpower to do the same number of reps, you're good. So just overcome that feeling. And the reason for that, I think, is metformin interferes with your energy production in these little packages in the cell called mitochondria, the battery packs. Is there a ability to accentuate your energy in some sort of other way, like with stimulants? Well, I, I take an NAD booster. Uh, it's, mm. I don't prescribe anything. I'm not a doctor, so... I like Disclaimer. How you're doing this thing with your hands. Uh, well, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm a Harvard professor, and yes, I'm, I'm cognizant that they they will watch this. Um, so I'm not prescribing anything, but I take this molecule NMN, which raises NAD, which we've shown in my lab and others that it boosts mitochondrial activity, gives more energy, ATP, in animals, and we're doing human trials right now, and it looks promising. So I try to counteract my metformin with that molecule. That's a supplement. Metformin's a drug, which you either need a doctor or you, or you can get it elsewhere. Um, other countries, actually, it's over the counter. It's so safe for them. But uh, long story short, I occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll skip a metformin if I'm going to work out, just, you know, in an abundance of caution. But this controversy is way overblown, as you can tell. Oh, so you could literally work out and then take your metformin, so then you don't have to worry about the negative effects because they're temporary. That's what I do. Oh, okay. So you're only dealing with a very small number, 5%. And then it's this is you could mitigate this by just taking it after exercise, which is that's a no brainer. Yeah. So it's not temp like it's not a permanent change of your ability to move weight or right. your ability to have exercise. And maybe you could have a couple stiff espressos before you work out. Yeah, probably balance it out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything that'll make you um, feel good. I didn't tell people why metformin. Yeah, I was works. just gonna ask. Thank you. Yeah. That's right. I can run your show for you. Please do. So metformin inhibits your mitochondria, uh, which are the power packs. Uh, it binds to this protein that makes chemical energy. And when you do that, the body responds by making more mitochondria. Remember, a little bit of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's right. exactly what's going on here. We call this hormesis. And uh, so by inhibiting it, your body builds more. So when the drug goes away, you've now got more energy. And that also helps the body take up blood sugar. Uh, become more what's called insulin sensitive. And that's why it works for type 2 diabetics. But by accident, this drug has been shown in tens of thousands of veterans, and mainly, but tens of thousands of people, to also delay other diseases of aging, heart disease, cancer, uh, frailty, Alzheimer's. It's it's amazing. Uh, when you look at now it's it's association. So for the aficionados, we don't know for sure if it does that. But this is the closest thing we have right now to a drug that slows down aging. And what is going on with metformin? What's the mechanism? Yeah, it's, uh, well, part of it's the boosting of the mitochondria number and ra raising the energy. But it's got other benefits. It's anti-inflammatory as well. And to be honest, as I should be as a scientist, we don't know. There's other stuff it does, but we just know that people who take it, a diabetic who, right, is sick and often overweight, 
who takes metformin on average lives longer than someone who doesn't have type 2 diabetes and doesn't take the drug. Really? That is an amazing statistic. That's insane. Yeah. So it literally not just mitigates the effect of diabetes, but it enhances your lifespan past the point of a person who doesn't have diabetes. On average. On average. Yeah. I like how you just hedge your bets there. So what's going on with metformin? What is it doing to the body and how is it doing it? Well, it's going to in inhibit the energy production and the body will start to make more. So you'll have more energy. You'll have... Um, it inhibits the in energy production. How so? How so? Okay. How deep do you want to go? All deep. Let's go deep. Let's go. All right. So the mitochondria... goggles on. All right. And stop me if I get boring. You're not boring. So in the cell, right? So let's zoom down into a cell. A cell okay. is a bag. We break through the membrane, the bag, outer, uh, outer bag, and now we're in liquid. Now we're swimming around. And there are these weird shapes that are floating around. They look a little bit lip bike, uh, look like um, myconikes. Is that what they're called? Myconikes? Myconikes. Little, little tubes. Candy. The candy. candy. Oh, Mike and Ikes. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm Australian, so okay. right, I talk yeah, about yeah. Other, other things, but Cadbury chocolate and stuff. Okay, these are little, um, we little don't tubes. We Cadbury chocolate. Do you do? Yeah, sure. It's famous. Okay, got it. Cadbury eggs, right? Yeah. yeah, so the Cadbury eggs uh, float around the cell. They, they look more like an extended little tube. Okay. And they 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 are what we use to make most of our energy. When we eat sugar um, or aminos, they get transported into the mitochondria and they get converted into energy. So how does that work? I'm glad you asked. The The mitochondria have, them, have another couple of membranes. So now we're going to pierce through the outer one and now we're going to swim in between the, the inner and the outer membrane. What's happening is that that's really acidic. Uh, it's a lot of uh, protons in there. And the cell's uh, pushing them into there. And that builds up this gradient of pH. So it's acidic. And then those protons that are in there, they want to get back inside that little uh, that little thing. And so they, they can't get through. But there are these little holes, uh, which is a protein called ATP synthase. And when they bust through that hole... It's like a propeller, like a hydroelectric uh, generator on a dam. And they shoot through, and this thing spins around and makes a chemical called ATP, which the body needs to, to survive. That's where we get all our energy. If we don't have ATP or this little spinny thing, we're dead in less than 30 seconds. You take cyanide, that's what it does. It blocks that process. Oh, wow. So it's needed for life. And it seems the more you have of that, the better. Now, one thing that one of my uh, companies that I'm helping – uh, and I've invested in, to be honest, uh, to be transparent, is developing is a way to punch holes in that membrane so that the hydroelectric dam is less efficient. So we've got a leak in the dam. And so not all the energy is going through. So what we we see happen in animal studies is that they can eat more food and not gain weight. It's a perfect weight loss pill. Wow. So I want to help cure obesity as that well. That sounds very Dr. Oz-like, though. So it's a perfect week. It's a miracle. It's a miracle pill. Well, it seems it like a miracle. Like I don't believe in miracles, but I believe in good science. Mm. And in the 1920s, uh, mostly women who were uh, at, in these factories, actually it was only World War One. they were making bombs. And there was a chemical called DNP, dinitrophenol, which has this property to break through this hydroelectric dam wall. Um, and w those women were really skinny. And people didn't understand it. And they found out that if you eat this molecule, DNP, you shed weight. And this started to be sold uh, How are they eating hospitals. the molecule? Well, they're breathing it in, and that was sufficient. Really? Yeah. So then it became sold. It became one of the best-selling drugs. Yeah, I think it was 1928, something like that. Um, and it, people thought that, that this was the end of obesity. 
And, uh, you know, people were partying in the streets, basically. But the problem is when you bust holes through that membrane, it generates, as a byproduct, heat. And people took too much because they wanted to get thin really quickly, and they overheated, and some of them died. And that led to the FDA FDA Act. And this is why we have drug regulation. That's why? One of the main reasons. Yeah, they shut that down because it was killing people. How many people died? Oh, not that many, uh, but still, one is too many. But it's an overdose issue. Right. And you can still get it on the black market. They used to give it Mm. to Russians, apparently, in World War II to stay warm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, But if you're wondering, David, why are you making a drug that's going to kill people? Well, actually, the the chemists are working and have made molecules that are sensitive to this acidity. And if it gets too low, it'll turn itself off. Why don't you just let people figure out the right dosage? Let them get warm. Come on, they're, they're always stupid people who are... There are, you know. and you need to let them. <laughs> you need to let them be stupid. That's a part of the problem with today. We nerf too many corners. You gotta. Some people need to bump into the ends of the world. Donk. Ow. Yeah. You can't have everything cushioned. Well, you don't this learn. is the problem, because also we've got so many people who need help, and yes. it's a trade-off. Yes. Everything's it is a, a risk. Everything's a risk. Every drug. There's no safe drug. Yeah. It's uh, like... But we need education, but we also need these fascinating things. Like... Yeah like this. So let me tell you some of those other traits that make us different from animals. Okay. So the first one I told you was tool making. The next one, uh, let's see, let's talk about exploration, right? Humans have the fuck you gene or F you gene for short. I just made that up, but I'm, I'm looking for it. Okay. But there are people like you and me who just say, and a lot of humans who say, I want to do things my way. Don't tell me what to do. And we've evolved that way. I mean, most animals don't behave this way. Right. It got us to this point. We started, you know, teenagers have a lot of turn, they turn on their FU gene heaps. Mm-hmm. I have teenagers. It's been hell in, in for some, you know what this is. Oh, like. yeah. So the FU gene is a problem, but it's also been the greatest thing on, on the earth because we left Africa. The teenagers said, screw you. I'm not going to listen to the chief. I'm going to go form my own village with my women. Let's go. And that we spread across the planet. We screwed some Neanderthals and Denisovans over the time, and we bred with those, and we became even better, stronger, fitter species. Neanderthals aren't extinct; they're actually still in us. So that that's a no. Attack. I have my DNA done. Yeah, how how you higher low percentage? Oh, super high. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that'll protect you from heart disease. Oh, nice. Yeah, hopefully if you got that gene. <clears throat> yeah, so we're hybrids. But anyway, the the, the fuck you gene has gotten us to this point. But it's also a problem, right? We have society like COVID when a lot of people said, I'm not going to wear a mask. We have that in us. But mm. it's also the way we're going to get out of this problem. The FU gene, like Elon has like probably 20 copies of the FU gene. Uh, but we need those people to yes. engineer us out of the crap that we've built into society from previous technologies. You can't have universal compliance. It's not going to work, right? You need some people that are mavericks and some people that are just like yeah. testing the boundaries. Yeah. For sure. I mean, most scientists are like that, but I've got it in abundance too. Right? Well, I think it's also we're dealing with, like, think about what we're talking about here, about your field of study, about life extension and how to maximize health. The amount of people that don't know what you're talking about and don't know the science and, and, and aren't even aware that this is possible is the majority. So for someone to step out and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to uh, do uh, sauna and ice baths every day because it increases hormesis and it maximizes my heat shock and cold shock proteins. And then I'm going to make sure I use blue light blocking glasses and I shut off my cell phone by 6 p.m. and I don't drink coffee after 5 and, I, and all these different things. 
most people don't know that there's an actual quantifiable benefit to doing all those things. And if you looked at like, this is a, I, I use this is a Anthony Robbins quote. I'm, I'm stealing this from him, but it's a very good one. That incremental change is if two boats are on the same path, and then one veers off two degrees over time. That two degrees equals a huge difference in the distance of your destination. Exactly, and that and that's why you got to measure your age. Yeah, that that's your core number. Because if if you don't you don't know you're drifting right. or how to correct course unless you measure it, and then use science to correct it. And this thing you could measure it fairly regularly. That's what we want to do. Yeah. So you could every do few it, months get yeah. a new test. It's just a mouth swab. You just send it in. And so it, maybe you have some bad habits. Maybe you've been partying too much or what have you, or studying too late. You can correct that and then see, hey, look what happened when you did that. Now your body is moving in a better way, a better place. Right. I mean, you can't really fix what you're not measuring. So that's what it's all right. about. And also most people ignore it. You know, I'm going to eat that pizza. Who cares? But you're right. Everything you do that, that is wrong, not everything, but mostly, it'll veer you off course. But the good news is we know how to slow it down, and now we're learning how to reverse it too. And I, I want people to, not just you and me, but everybody to have a sense of their own wellness because you can make a big difference. Your genes only control 20% of your ultimate health in old age. 80% is in your hands. People don't know that. It's really? liberating. 80%? Yeah, because people have studied twins in Denmark, uh, and they showed that the twins who lead very different lifestyles, you know, one would smoke, one didn't, one would exercise, one didn't. It makes a huge difference. 80%. And another statistics, this is from a Harvard study last year. If you just do the five things that doctors, that we all pretty much know, um, you can extend your lifespan by 14 years on average. And that's just the easy stuff. What we're talking about today and with what you know, I hope I'll make, you know, democratize, will get us beyond that. So what are those five things? Uh, if by recollection, it is uh, so exercise, yeah, eat the right things, don't eat so much, eat less frequently. Uh, what else was it? Uh, there was sleep uh, and stress. Oh, and don't smoke. So I think that was six, but you get the idea. So though that that's the minimum, and that's not even that hard. And what is going on with eating? So if you have one meal and say this meal comprises uh, you know, 2,000 calories or whatever, and you have this meal at 6 p.m. and you fast for 24 hours until you eat again at 6 p.m. If you have this one meal a day, why is it better to do that than to have, say, you know, smaller meals of like 500 calories multiple times per day, little snacks? Well, because going back 6 million years back, you know, we're in the trees and then in the savannah, our bodies were designed, well, or evolved to respond to adversity. And we've removed that from our lives because it feels good. But we need adversity to be resilient and to fight disease. So what I'm saying is that period of hunger, and it's not even hunger these days. I don't even feel it. I feel great if, if I don't eat. And it, it takes a few weeks. So anyone wants to start, make, give it some time, give it a couple of weeks. But what's happening in the body is you're turning on these adversity hormesis response genes. We call them longevity genes. And they make the body fight aging and diseases. And so by by eating through the day, the traditional, oh, you got to have breakfast, best meal of the day, blah, blah, blah. Um, first of all, it's not true that you need to be full or fed to think clearly. It's, it's very clear that people who are fasting have as good, if not better, mental acuity. 
Okay, that's one. So I think that that needs to be thrown out the window. Kids are different. We're not talking about kids. We're talking about adults. And we're not talking about malnutrition or starvation too, let's be clear. But we are talking about lengthening that window of not eating. So if you always are, are satiated, fed, your body says, hey, I've just killed an, you know, a mammoth. No problem. Don't need to worry about survival. I'm just going to go forth and multiply and screw my long-term survival. Mm. So this is all about long-term survival by making the body freak out that there's tough times. And that's running away, like running away from a cat, like the savannah, and being hungry. Or, you know, there's molecular reasons that all, all this works. But, you know, trust me, that the, the data is very clear that this is the way to go if you want to be healthy in your 80s and 90s. Well, it, it, it actually does make sense when you put it in that way that your body, when you're fed, relaxes. And so if you're just doing that all day long, and I know for a fact that when I am um, not fed and I go and do things, whether it's perform, one of the things that I've been doing um, is I don't eat before shows. Like I take many, uh, many hours before a comedy show. And I used to just like eat whenever. I just eat, and, and then I would do shows and I would have a, a meal like an hour before the show and I'm really trying to wake up. I'm really trying to, come on, come on, come on. But I've now recognized, actually I saw a video where Cat Williams was talking about this. Do you know who Cat Williams is? Hilarious comedian? Uh, I do know. Well, you're slipping if you don't. Uh, he's he's hilarious. When he was doing this interview and he was saying, they were telling, what's your process before a show? And one of the things is I don't eat. I make sure I don't eat. And I was like, that's wise. That's really smart. And I'm like, I needed to hear that even though I kind of knew it, but I'd never written it down. I'd never like associated it absolutely. But now I have. Like now I do not eat before shows. I won't do it unless I know I have three hours. So what, what's your average day look like? It depends entirely <clears throat> on whether or not I'm doing podcasts. If I'm doing podcasts, generally I'm up early. I get my workouts in. I uh, usually have something to eat after the workout, so I'm talking about like I eat around 11, 11 a.m. That's my first meal of the day, and then uh, I go and do my stuff. And I generally feel like my workouts are so strenuous that I need some sort of nutrition afterwards, some sort of uh, fruit to pump the muscles back up and give them some sugar and some protein. So usually I'm eating meat and maybe like an apple or something like that. That's like a normal meal for me. And then I don't eat again until nighttime. Great. And you're not snacking? No. Yeah, maybe. Sometimes after a podcast, I'll have like, we have these uh, On It Warrior bars that are just buffalo meat and some cranberries and stuff. I like those. I'll, I'll eat one of those. Good. Well, at least you're going till 11. You got that sleep. Yeah. So you're probably not eating late. Yeah, it's just the stre strenuous activity. Me, like, my workouts are very hard. So after them, I feel like I need something. You know, I just, I don't like that feeling of like a brutal workout and then being starving for four or five hours because then it becomes a distraction. So I, I, I listen to my body, but if I don't work out, I don't eat until dinner. Like say a day like today, I didn't work out today. So I woke up, hung out with the dog, had some coffee, sat out, you know, like just got, went over some emails, did some shit, just a relaxed morning and then rolled into here, no food. I, I won't eat until we're going to dinner tonight. I'll eat until then. Yeah, with yeah. Lex. That'll yes, be fun. that's going to be fun. And John Donner. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Looking great. forward to meeting yes. him. Yes. Uh, yeah, so you're, you're doing the right things, uh, certainly better than most people. Uh, but what I'm trying to build, uh, make, are molecules that mimic fasting as well. So if you cannot fast like I do, then you can just take a pill. 
And what we've shown in, in mice, at least, is that if you give them this molecule that I'm taking, NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide, which, as I mentioned, um, speeds up metabolism, does all that stuff, those mice could run 50% further. These old mice, we gave it to them for three weeks, put them back on a treadmill, and those that had the NMN in their water ran 50% further. They had better blood flow, better oxygenation, better energy. And that is literally exercise in a pill. That's crazy. So we're, we're in late-stage human clinical trials now. When do you think this is going to be released to the public? Well, it depends on what the FDA does and if Those it works. Those motherfuckers. Oh, don't get me in trouble. <laughs> I love the FDA. Um, I but do it's fair, too. fair enough. They protect us. Yes. Um, but yeah, we're going through the procedure that has been around since, as I mentioned, early 20th century. But it, we've done hundreds of people now, um, certainly dozens, over the last few years. And we know at least that this molecule is apparently safe and raises the levels of the molecule we want to build up. The molecule is called NAD. Do you want me to talk a little about yes, NAD? Yes, please. So NAD is what those mitochondria, little uh, Mike and Ike, little uh, uh, energy producing things, use to make energy. So you, you need, there are two molecules in the body that are really great. You need both for life. And without them, as I said, you're dead. ATP is the energy and NAD makes that. And as we get older, the levels of NAD go down. Our body makes less and actually also degrades it more. You have, so I, if you take my skin or in the study that they took people's skin, when you're 50, you've got half the levels of this NAD that you did than you did when you were 20. Which is scary because this is this molecule is required for life. Without it, we're dead in 30 seconds. So what we're doing with our clinical trials is giving a precursor, a, a, a smaller version of this that the body will turn into NAD and bring those levels back up from where they are when you're old to where you are when you're young. And we, we see, at least in animals and hopefully in people, that it revs up their metabolism and makes them fight aging and disease like we do when we're young. I mean, there's a reason we don't get a lot of heart disease when we're young or Alzheimer's because our bodies fight against disease as we get older. And especially if we sit around or smoke and don't exercise, our bodies just give up. That's very exciting. Now, I, I used to do injectable NAD. I used to do uh, IVs when I was living in California. I haven't done it out here. What is the difference between this NMN uh, supplementation versus IV drip and what's superior? Well, so there's just a deliv delivery route. Um, my assumption is that they're working the same way, um, same effects, but nobody's put them head to head. Um, I'm yet to see a clinical trial that shows that literally uh, and any of them actually work the way they're advertised, but the theory is that you'll you'll have the same effect. Um, I don't know if NAD IV is better. I mean, it's certainly more direct than eating it, and yeah. your gut's not eating it. I, I have an anecdote to tell you. Uh, Please. And to my Harvard colleagues, it's just an anecdote. This isn't a clinical trial. So I, I wrote my book, took a couple of years. I sat down for most of the most of that time. And my uh, piriformis muscle, which is one of the main ones in your, holds your hip up, cramped up. And for probably 12 months, I had a permanent cramp in my ass. That was really painful. I could barely walk, made me really grumpy. And I couldn't get rid of it. Exercise, building muscle, physiotherapy, wouldn't go away. And this happens fairly frequently to people who don't stand up. So I now have a standing desk. That's another good tip. But uh, I went out to California um, and met with um, some of the um, power broker uh, people in Hollywood who, you know, shall re remain nameless. But there's plenty of people you and I know out there who are doing this. They recommended this one person um, who's well known and very kind. 
She said, go to see my doctor, get an NAD shot. And I thought, come on, NAD shot, who believes that science? Uh, so I went anyway, uh, honestly, out of courtesy. I thought it might work, but I'm always up for something. And she, doctor injected it into my ass. And uh, I felt a tingle, as was supposed to happen. And I walked away thinking, yeah, that was fun. Been there, done that. And I flew home that night, and I was at the airport, LA airport, and I found that something was different. I was kind of skipping in my walk, and I thought, it's gone. After a year, this damn thing is gone. Now, Gabby Reese, um, the, the uh, volleyball player who I was at, at her place jumping up in the pool the other day, uh, that's hypoxia, I almost drowned again. But anyway, Gabby says it's probably just the needle. And she might be right. This is not a clinical trial, but it's certainly interesting. Well, dry needling does do something to muscles. If you have a muscle, like, have you ever been dry needled before? No, you offering? Uh, that sounded strange. <laughs> I, uh, I've done it before. It's really interesting. Yeah, they, they basically stay, take acupuncture needles and they stick them in stiff muscles. And a lot of times they do it uh, with in conjunction with uh, electrical muscular uh, stimulation. So they'll put these little clamps onto the acupuncture needles and it just goes it gives you this weird pulsating thing in your muscles but it's really beneficial for re release, releasing and relaxing like really tight and tense muscles you know i've uh, i have an imbalance in my back because of uh, power kicking on my right side my left side is what stabilizes it so the left side of my back is thicker than the right side of my back mm. Because if you think about it, if you're standing here like this and you're doing this all the time, you're like you're leaning into the left side and throwing a kick with the right leg. And then also when I draw a bow back, right, I always draw it with my right side. And so my right shoulder is stronger than my left shoulder. Uh -huh. But my left shoulder is stronger pushing because the left shoulder pushes and the right shoulder pulls. I've got all these fucking weird uh, imbalances in my body. You probably do something else with one hand too that doesn't help. Hey! Me. Easy. I didn't say that anything. And uh, so this uh, nice lady, Jennifer, uh, over at Exos, started sticking these needles in there and dirt, dirt, dirt. And uh, she's a wizard. It worked. It was amazing. It's like I could feel it after it was over. I was like, oh, it released all this tension. So that might have had something to do with it. But I mean, it's not like they're sticking NAD in your butt just because they think, like, maybe it'll work. Like, she's probably got some responses from other people in the past, right? I mean, there's got to be some right. science. Uh, uh, th there's a lot of anecdotal stuff. And, and this doctor, I have huge respect for. Um, so that, that was another reason, and it may work. So no one has measured the benefits of NAD, IV versus pills? Nope. nope. i got to tell you one, the NAD drip is rough. Really? It's rough. Yeah. Like, uh, that's why people do it very slowly. They do it over... Have you done it? No. It, it's, I, I was offered it at a hotel that I was at. It's the strangest feeling. It's like your your body, like your your stomach cramps up. You're like, whoa. Um, it's hard to like open it up, and you, you know it's possible to tolerate it with a very fast drip, but uh, most people do it for like it was like two hours. Yeah, or thirty to forty five minutes, not yeah. twenty. What's the fastest you did it? Like for thirty five ish. Yeah. Uh, well, if anybody has some data i'd love to see it it gets rough but marijuana here's a pro tip <laughs> marijuana changes the whole game if you smoke some marijuana before you get an nad drip i did it in 10 minutes yeah i just sat high as fuck sat there but so high i was i was way too i got paranoid but if you uh 
there's something that happens with, you know, marijuana reduces nausea in patients with cancer going through chemotherapy. Uh, a lot of people that are have wasting issues, also different ailments where they have a difficult time eating. Marijuana reduces nausea. And uh, whatever that mechanism is, marijuana has a profound effect on the way your body processes the NAD drip. Because the difference for me between um, NAD drips with no marijuana is rough. The fastest I did it with no marijuana was like 30 minutes maybe. Mm. That's a long time to sit 30. still. 30. It's it's not just a long time to sit still. It's a long time to sit still and be super uncomfortable. I think I maybe did like 20, 20 minutes. But uh, but I was like this. I was like for 20 minutes like and then I op- I I smoked some pot once. I, I, I we actually did a podcast. And we smoked during the podcast. And then right after the podcast, I was scheduled for the IV drip. And I was high as fuck. And I said, just open it up. Let's see what happens. And they did the full, like, opened it wide. And then went through the whole bag in 10 minutes. Hmm. And the the nurse was freaking out, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Because it's crazy what it would feel like if you weren't on marijuana. But marijuana just, like... I was like, it's just, this is Maybe. tolerable. I can pro, handle pro this. Pro tip. Pro tip. Yeah. The, it's used a lot. The, these drips of NAD are used a lot, particularly in Florida, for addiction. Ah, uh, why addiction? You know, I don't know. It's just that doctors have found that it helps their patients tremendously. Well, it makes you feel better. And in conjunction with a, an IV vitamin drip, it's really it's a nice effect. And it's, I would always like to do it uh, post-flights, like say if I fly in from the East Coast or something like that and I'm worn out. <laughs> There's some science on that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so a good friend of mine at WashU, Shin and I, uh, and colleagues showed that the NAD levels in the body of an animal, probably in a human, they cycle through the day. They go up in the morning, get you ready, uh, and then they go down at night. So you don't want to be taking these supplements or having this stuff uh, injected into you late at night because it'll make your body believe that it's the morning. And mm. I also believe, um, and it, it really is backed up by the mouse studies, that jet lag is caused by a disruption of this cycle of NAD going up and down in your body. And so I've been using NMN, this supplement, to reset my body when I travel, and it's been a night, night and day. Excuse really? the pun. Yeah. No kidding. So like, if you fly to Australia, you'll just land, take some NAD. People are shocked. People who travel with me go, David, you just landed. How come you're going to give a talk? It, it, it makes me able to go without rest. Uh, I barely have sleep sometimes. That's incredible. And that actually does make sense because that's the feeling that you get when you're jet lagged. Like you just can't get your energy going. Exactly. And what actually happens, unfortunately, is even if you get your light in your eyes, which resets your brain, your liver has a clock. Other tissues, do you know that? There's separate clocks within the body. And if they're out of sync, you know, maybe your liver is looking for a meal, but your brain says it's the middle of the night and you don't know what to do. And that's why you feel like crap. The only thing that's ever helped me reset it, um, and it's not profound but it does help a lot is exercise so what i would do is if i fly the moment i would land somewhere i would just put my stuff in my room and go straight to the gym that'll raise your nad levels oh makes mm-hmm. sense because mm-hmm. uh, that was and i know i don't like to do it right it's like they're feeling like oh, god here finally i want to relax i don't have a show for five hours let me take a nap yeah. but no I'd no go straight to the gym it, it and for anyone who's listening to this uh, we know this in great molecular detail and I'm not going to bore you to death, but this is not just, oh, Dr. Sinclair thinks that this is likely to happen. It's known that there are proteins in the cell that bind to genes that control your body's clock, and they're regulated directly by the amount of NAD in the cell. 
And if you manipulate the NAD levels, that clock and turning on genes on and off gets screwed up. And as you get older, it naturally gets screwed up. And one hope is that by raising NAD more naturally, you also get better sleep. Mm, makes sense. It all makes sense. Uh, getting better sleep is huge, right? That's a, a big part of uh, your body's ability to recover and recuperate. Um, how many hours do you get a night? Last night, I got three. But usually, I'd get about six to seven. You feel like that's good enough? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And what about people that say that you need eight or nine? Everyone's different. You think that's it's just a... Yeah, how much do you need? I don't feel good without eight. I feel good at seven. I feel better at eight. Eight's like, it's quantifiable. It's like I can see it. I can feel it. Well, Six or five, I'm like, Ugh. I can I, f I can function. But I have friends that just like five and they're good. You know, like Jocko. Jocko, five hours and he's, you know. He's lucky. Yeah. Real lucky. But um, the, the danger is that if you don't get enough sleep, you do accelerate your aging clock. That's mm. clear. If you uh, keep a rat from having sleep for two weeks, it gets diabetes. Two weeks? Yeah, it's so fast. Oh, that's what we need to do to get rid of the rats. <laughs> Just starve them. Give them diabetes. Um, when you're uh, getting ready for sleep, do you have uh, a routine? Do you take... Uh, like a like a, a relaxing tea. Do you take any? Do you, are you tryptophan? Are you doing anything that makes you calm down and relax? I do a lot. I have Melatonin. a whole procedure. Yeah, I'm I'm an excited guy, um, and the whole day for me is a thrill. So trying trying to calm down is hard. So it starts with turning off the the blueness on my computer screen, my phone. I try not to watch TV after ten o'clock. Try not to do emails after ten thirty. That's the start. Then I have a special tea that has tryptophan, L-theanine, GABA, um, and that helps. Uh, I might have a sip of a little bit of alcohol just to calm my nerves. Not a lot, literally not nothing like that. Uh, and then if that doesn't work, then I nibble on an Ambien, and that will finally get me to sleep. An Ambien, really? You go hard. Nibble. 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 It's barely much. What does that mean? Like as little as I can. Yeah, yeah, right. How do you know what a nibble is? Yeah, it's that. So if you have a whole Ambien, are you taking like a tenth of the Ambien? Oh, uh, probably. And yeah. just enough to just like get your... Yeah, just get the edge off. And once I'm asleep, I'm good. But bonk. you... Yeah, but it's a procedure. I've had to learn this. I spent my 30s basically not sleeping. It was hell. I, I was almost suicidal. It was so bad. Really? And is it just because you're so excited and you're so busy and then you just you couldn't wind down? Yeah, and then young kids didn't help. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. The winding down thing is really hard for people that are like high performance people that are working all the time and you're go, 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 go throughout the day. And then sometimes when you lie down, it's the only time where you're not engaged with an activity. So then your mind starts racing and starts doing an assessment of all the various things that are going on in your life and throughout your day. That's my, my issue. When I go down, like I have to make sure that I do not allow my mind to start like going on a rampage and you know, like thinking about various projects I'm involved in or different things that I'm working on because then I'll get stuck right. because it's one of the rare times where I'm alone by myself not thinking. Like I'm not by myself, but you know, I'm just, I'm not engaged in anything. I'm just laying there. And sometimes when you're just laying there, your mind's like, oh, we got nothing to do. 
terrific because there's a lot of shit I've been wanting to talk to you about. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, it's like if you don't uh, have a conversation with your spouse and then, you know, you don't talk all day, but a lot of things are going on. And then finally, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, here's the things we need to talk about. Like, that's what it's like with my brain at night. It's like, hey, fuckface, there's a lot of shit you need to work on. Like, right. let's do this and then that. And what about that? And how about this? And, and here's what I screwed up, damn it. Yeah, that's, oh my God, that's the worst. I have, it's very difficult for me to not think about things that I've screwed up right before I go to bed, but I must. Because if I do, I will have a really hard time sleeping. That's why you're successful. Mm. That's why? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you evaluate yourself and fix the problems constantly. Yeah, but it's ruthless. Yeah, it is. It's, it's hard being that kind of person. It's, you, have to hard, you have to make sure you don't do it at night, though. That's the big one. Don't do it at night. Because at nighttime, I, I, go, I have to go, hey, shut the fuck up, stupid. Go to bed, deal with this in the morning. Because in the morning, I'm also by myself. I'm having a cup of coffee. I'm relaxing. Sit down outside. Listen to the birds chirp for a little bit. Then is a good time. Because then you're starting, you, you're actually in motion. So you could actually get some stuff done that maybe is bothering you. Maybe you can work on some of those things. At nighttime, you're not working on shit. You're just going to ruin your sleep. Well, do you, do you have any tricks? Drinks? Tricks. Tricks? Um, it, my tricks are just mental exercises. Like I feel myself starting to think about maybe like a bit that I'm working on that I need to correct or, you know, this is, uh, this is not w the right way to do it. You need to re I, I got to go, hey, 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 stop and just think about your breathing. So my, my number one trick is just concentrating on in and out and in and out. And it's not even along the way. I will go right back into the things that are bothering me and write down, oh, I screwed up this or oh, I shouldn't have said that and in and out and in and get myself right back on track and eventually I fall asleep. Great. Yeah, breathing is, is really important. Yeah. Um, even during the day when you're starting to freak out or just get too busy, just 10 breaths will bring your heart rate down. Have you ever read James Nestor's book, Breath? Oh, I want to. It's, it's very good. I've been told every day. Very, much. very good. And he's a really interesting guest, too. I really enjoy talking to him, but his book is fantastic. And it's very, very beneficial. And I use those, many of those breathing exercises that are outlined in the book, I use in the sauna. It's like uh, one of the ways that I get through the sauna. And if I do it correctly, I can get, I can get through like a sauna session and I barely know how rough it is. If I do, if I really get into it and I, I like force myself to f fully concentrate, by the time I look down, I'm like, oh my God, it's already 25 minutes. I'm good. Hang on. How hot are you making your sauna? It gets close to 200 degrees. <sighs> yeah. Like last night was, I'll tell you, cause I take a photo of the, the thing. It was 190. Let me see. So you can fry an egg in there. Yeah. That's it right there. I believe you now. Yeah, it's close to 200. That looks like 198, 199. Yeah, I, d I did that um, at Gabby Reese's place recently, too. Oh, yeah, that's where I learned it from. Yeah. From Laird. That's savage. That's savage. He gets on an Airdyne bike with oven mitts in the sauna and works out. Like, yo. Right, those two know hormesis. They, they yeah. e exponential it. But I, I was... I was almost thrown up. I had to leave and come back. Get whole, <laughs> had a cold shower and an ice bath. How hot did he make it? About that hot. Yeah, he goes harder than that. He sent me one uh, a photo where it's like 225 degrees, yeah. and he's in there with fucking oven mitts on. <laughs> They're used to it. Uh, actually, there was a there's a photo that was posted online. Uh, Gabby and I, and, and you know she 
she's used to this. And I was I was a beetroot. I looked like that girl from Willy Wonka's. And I saw Wonka. that photo. Yeah. <laughs> it was brutal. I was about to pass out at that point. Yeah. Well, they're, they're accustomed to uh, some, well, first of all, she was an amazing volleyball player, and he is one of the greatest surfers of all time. They're super athletes, right? And he's a genuine freak of nature. He really is. Laird Hamilton is a freak. And not, not just a freak of nature, but like a freak of like willpower and control over his mind. Have you ever seen his ankle? No. I hate to show this to everybody again, but he broke his ankle and just didn't do anything about it. Just kept walking on it. And his ankle fused and became like this tree stump. Like literally it looks like a tree stump. Yeah, but, but Look at that. that's not smart. That's his ankle. <sighs> okay, don't do that. Yeah, Even I want to see what that looks like under a uh, X-ray, but that's that's just insane mental strength because he's walking around for who knows how long on a broken ankle, and he's like, whatever. Yeah, mind over matter. Those two, so that they made me uh, not made me. I, I volunteered for the second time to jump up and down with weights in my hands in their swimming pool. Yeah, how's that? Well, it's certainly motivational to jump high. Uh, to get a breath. But if you don't time it right, you're just going to suck in water, which I did. So what is the workout? How, how do you do it? Oh, really interesting. You start with a, a weight that uh, they they make. You know, it's different for them. But you, I started with a light weight. I think it was about 10 pounds. Hold it to my chest with one arm, very close. And then you use one arm to swim. And you swim acro sideways across the pool, uh, there and back under without breathing. Underwater. And, underwater. And you feel like you're going to run out of breath on the second lap. But what Gabby tells you to do is just don't worry. It's your body screaming for, for uh, well, you've got a lot of carbon dioxide, but you've got enough oxygen. So just forget about what your body says and keep going. And you do that, and it works. And that, that's part of what she's training you to do is to don't worry about what your body's saying. Do what your mind wants you to do. Mm, yeah, my friend John Joseph, he's a lead singer of the Cro-Mags, and he's also uh, an endurance athlete. He does a lot of Ironmans. He's, he's got this like heavy duty New York accent. He goes, tell your mind. Your mind is the one who tells your body who's the motherfucker in charge. <laughs> 100%. Really, that, this is what this, this podcast yeah. is about is don't do what feels good. Force your body to do what you want it to do. Yeah. Th then, they, then what they do is once you've done that, that's just making sure you, you're okay in water. Then they make you hold two weights, heavy weights, and walk down into the deep end. So you're about a foot below the surface, and you have to breathe by jumping. So oh, no, no not to, a foot. Head, at least it's above your head a little bit. So you have to get – the only way to get air is to jump with these weights out of the water <gasps> and then under. Exactly. And how, how many reps do you, you do, do of 10. that? You do 10, but, but it, it, you're, it's also quite a mind of a matter thing because you, you have to relax. If you don't, which often happens to me in that pool – uh, I suck in the water because I'm I'm scared. Right. But if you calm down, it's fine. And you do any kind of pool exercises and or pool workouts other than that? No. So this is a completely novel thing for you. Well, it was my second time, but uh, yeah, it's still weird. Um, and I, I have a fear of drowning, so that wasn't great either. Well, who doesn't have a fear exactly. of drowning? Exactly. That's yeah. the worst way to die, apparently. Really. Well, suffocating is bad. I watched my mother suffocate to death, and that was not pleasant. Oh, God. For her, for sure. Um, and I expect drowning's the same. Yeah, I can only imagine. Like, and then the willpower, like, I always think about, this is so stupid, but I always think about Magnum P.I. Remember the, the TV show? Yeah. There was an episode where Magnum P.I. got stuck in the ocean, and he had to tread water for 24 hours. 
with sharks probably going around him. I don't remember. Yeah. But I was a little kid. But I remember thinking, watching that episode, like, damn. Like, you know he wanted to quit. But I know people can do that. Like, people can do things where they want to quit, but they do not. Right? They just keep going and keep going. Like, I have a couple of very good friends that are endurance athletes that do uh, ultra marathons. They do these crazy, like, Moab 240s and that kind of shit where they're just running for days. You know, like, you can tell your body what to do. You really can. Yeah, well, you reminded me. Uh, so a good friend of mine, um, he just won the, what was it? One of the big marathons on, on the West Coast. It'll come to me, but he's 50. It, that day he turned 50. And so he's he's taking a couple of these molecules that we talked about. But it's great to see his time get better and better and better. Um, and people say, oh, you, you won the marathon for your age group. He goes, no, dude. I won it outright at 50. Wow. That's huge. That's super unusual, isn't it, to win a marathon at 50 years old? Yeah, and he's just getting faster every year. So I, I can't How is say, that possible? Well, I'd like to take credit, but I won't. Uh, but he claims that it's made a huge difference. So this is NMN, and what else is he doing that's allowed? He's doing the Metformin. Metformin? I, I believe, and, and resveratrol is the third thing. NMN, resveratrol, metformin, DHEA as well? Not that I know of. Hmm, interesting. And he's, it's had a big impact. Well, he, he's like one of these mice in our lab that runs further. Mm. So that all fits. But a scientist says that doesn't prove anything. But it's, it's certainly inspirational, like my father is. doesn't prove that he's staying young because right. of me. But it doesn't seem to be hurting him at all. But you're pretty confident that with further research, it's most likely going to determine that all these things are extremely beneficial to basically the overall population. Is that safe For sure. To say? That's why I wouldn't. Yeah. That, that's why I'm doing it. Right? Right. If we wait for another 20 years for proof of all of this, we're done for. Mm -hmm. We were born a generation or two too early, unfortunately. Right. So you've got to take some risks. And the older you get, the more risk you should be able to tolerate. Because you know what's going to happen if you don't do anything. It's yeah. not pretty. Yes, it's not pretty. You know, I don't want to shame anybody, but there's a photo of uh, Kelly McGillis, who was with Tom Hanks in Top Gun. And... Uh, Tom Hanks, or not Tom Hanks, uh, Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise yeah. So there's a photo of the two of them in the Top Gun movie where she's young and beautiful and he's young and handsome. And then there's a photo of the two of them now. And she's kind of let herself go a little bit. He has not. And he looks fucking fantastic. It's kind of crazy when you see the contrast of the difference between someone who's taking care of themselves and someone who's not. Yeah, I wrote about this in my book. And in fact, I use Tom as the example of what you can do. Uh, and if you look at somebody his age that was in a previous generation, um, those actors looked really old, and he looks great, right? Yeah. And he has taken care of himself. I'm sure there's probably some other work that he's had done, but it can make a huge difference how you live your life. That's the goal of me now is to say, don't wait, because you don't want to waste away or become an ex have an accelerated age clock, the one that we measure. Yeah. Um, and often it's, it's going to be too late if you just wait. And so in my life, I've been doing this since I was 33, doing various things, um, adding things along the way. What do you think someone should do if they, maybe they are 80 and they're listening to this for the first time? I and mean, we don't want to like rule them out or count them out. Like what should someone do if, you know, you're saying it's too late, but if you are 80 and you're like, God, I wish I had done this earlier, but what can I do now? Uh, well, so I, I know a little bit about this, uh, because I have some um, some friends who are that old. Uh, and when they do the kind of things that we've talked about today, 
it's a remarkable change. They they look younger. They walk younger. In fact, the speed that you walk is the best determinant, besides this clock that I talked about, of how long you're going to live. And there was somebody that I was talking to the other day that in their 80s started fasting, doing all these things, took some supplements. And their walking speed went back to a young person uh, within a matter of months. It can have a huge difference. And we now know that the clock is malleable. You can turn it back. That's hugely liberating. And even if you're that old, you can make a big difference. I'm just saying that it's better to start early because you're going to have the biggest bang for the buck. Mm, Right. So uh, even if you're older, look, it'll definitely have some effect. But the correct way to approach this is if you're a young person, don't wait until you get old. Start now. Right. Yeah. Now, when you're a young person, like if someone's 30 years old, they don't need to do this, do they? Like, should, should they think about metformin and things along those lines at, at a very young age? Uh, 25? In my opinion, no, because no. you've got your high levels of NAD, you've got your longevity genes activated. But there are things you should definitely do in your 20s that I did. Uh, I didn't eat a lot of food. I skipped breakfast my whole life. Um, and then exercise. I, I used to go to the gym a lot and do a lot of aerobics, and I definitely don't regret that now. I've still got that core. So I think in your 20s, do the basic stuff. Um, but then the supplements, I think, save till your 30s because your body has the longevity and, and resilience in those years. But we, I'm, I'm speculating based on animal studies. We don't know. Nobody's done this kind of experiment. And this is the problem. They're going to know in 20, 30 years what I'm saying is true or not. But we can't wait that long. Um, so I do my best to extrapolate from animals and, and look at societies that live a long time and make the best I can scientific judgment as to what will work. And when you say your whole life you skipped breakfast, was that instinctual? Like, was that just a just you don't enjoy eating breakfast? Uh, no, I love, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'll love a Vegemite on toast, uh, like any Australian. <laughs> but uh, I gain weight. I have a obesity uh, alleles. Uh, that's obesity genes mm-hmm. is the colloquial way to say that. And and type 2 diabetes is in my family. And if, if all I have to do is really look at a food and it'll it'll... I'll put on weight. So for me to have a, a physique like like I do, so I'm, I'm pretty lean now, takes a fair amount of effort. And skipping breakfast was the easiest thing to avoid that, uh, getting uh, overweight. That's interesting. So even when you were a young boy, like you just realized that this is the way to do it, just don't eat breakfast? Well, how long have we known that being overweight is bad for long-term health? Well, we have, but we also were told when we were young that's the most important meal of the day. Right. Well, I'm not a breakfast guy. If I could skip at one meal, it would be breakfast. Um, but some people need breakfast. So I think I'm not saying everyone has to do what I do. And that's that's the other important point, Joe, is that wh- whether it's your meals or your exercise, you're changing your microbiome of your gut uh, or even supplements, unless you measure something, you don't know if it's working. And we're all different. Yeah. Uh, even even sleep, as you mentioned. And so that's why measuring things with the, the clock, with the cheek swab and um, you've got to measure it. Otherwise, you don't know what works for you. And what works for me may not work as well for someone else. That whole uh, breakfast is the most important part of the day. I think people need to kind of know that, that that really doesn't make sense, right? Well, for kids, it's been shown that you do need a bit of food to, for, to, to wake up and think at school. So I'm not saying that. But for adults, I think most of us can skip breakfast. And, and over time, a matter of weeks, months, a lot of us feel better without it. When we look at the average American body, I mean, what percentage of Americans are obese? It's a kind of nutty percentage, right? I, I want to say it's close to 40% or it something is. like that. Right. Yeah. 
there, so there's obviously a lot of eating when you don't really need to eat. And there's that thing that we all do, and I'm guilty of it too. And you just go, uh, maybe I should eat something. But you're not hungry. You're not really hungry. But like if I'll go through the cabinets and I'll see some chips, I'll go, mm, those would be good right now. And I will sacrifice my physical health for some temporary mouth pleasure. And if you think about like what a bowl of chips, like my God, if you eat a bowl of Ruffles, how much fucking calories and bullshit oils and stuff are in those chips? Yeah. Not good. Well, you know, our brain is, is designed uh, or evolved to, to crave energy. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Because we used to go through periods of famine. We don't do that anymore. Right. So we're, we're, one of my points um, in the book that I'm writing about uh, how we got here and how we get out of it, this treadmill that we're on, is that we're, we're slaves. Our limbic system that you and Elon talked about, the, the core of the brain that we don't seem to control very well with our frontal cortex, it's telling us eat all the time, eat high calories, sugar, fat, have sex. It, that's the, the evil part of our brain. But we need to overrule that in general uh, with, with our frontal cortex, which we have in abundance, the lollipop species. Yeah. It's, I mean, I wouldn't say that's an evil part of our brain. It's kind of how we got here. Yes. Right? Eat and have sex is how we got here. Um, but it's it definitely, in modern society, when you're thinking about you're know, working all day and you know you don't have really the time to really sit down and, and plan your meals out, your your mind can tell you to eat constantly. Like especially, I know a lot of folks that work at places that have snacks available for all their employers. So you go into the break room and there's just like all these snacks. There's like granola bars and that kind of stuff, and they just eat them. And then next thing you know, you're, you've added a few thousand extra calories to your diet every day. Yeah. Exactly. And so the first thing you can do if you want to do this is clear your house of those snacks. Yeah. Makes it easy. Because I, I, too, you know, even though I know the science, I will still, I, I'm, re I'm currently addicted to Twizzlers, unfortunately. <laughs> when I get stressed out, I will snack like crazy. And, but that's, that's the limbic going. Why David, Twizzlers? Uh, a friend of mine put me onto them, unfortunately. Oh, they are delicious. Yeah. They are delicious. Have, but what's a good low-calorie substitute? to something like that? Or does it even matter if it's a low calorie? Like if you're just eating like rice cakes throughout the day as snacks, you're still eating. Don't do that. No, no. Rice cakes and rice in general will spike your blood sugar, which we try not to do if we want to live a long time. So you, so at Twizzlers. Right? Yeah, I know, it's crazy. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, so rice cakes spike your sugar too much? Yeah, rice in general. I don't know about rice cakes. I haven't measured that. But even personally, I've been wearing this glucose monitor on occasion stuck into my arm. And that'll – a lot of people are doing this. It's actually a trend. Is that a, a trend. glued on ones? Can I see it? Yeah, uh, I, I'm not wearing it today. Oh, okay. I'm just tapping where I put it on my arm up here. And uh, But there are a lot of companies now doing this. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. And well, I know that rice is bad. Unfortunately, I love sushi. Um, uh, potatoes weren't that bad, actually. And grapes were the worst. Rhonda Patrick, the health fitness guru who uh, many of us know – uh, she said grapes were the worst for her as well, hmm. which is sad, right? You yeah. think grapes, healthy, vitamins. They taste good. Yeah. The thing about potatoes, though, potatoes, there's an effect that happens when you cook a potato and then cool it down and then reheat it. It apparently has much less of an impact on uh, your blood glucose levels. Do you know about that? No. There's a – Rhonda Patrick explained it to me. There's actual science behind it. See if you can find what that science is, young Jamie. But there's uh, – it's much more uh, – it has much much less impact on blood sugar levels. And uh, 
here it is. Uh, high glycemic index diets are associated with included. Uh, the GI is a measure of the blood glucose raising potential of carbohydrate containing foods. We previously found that eating cooled or reheated potatoes reduces the GI by 30 to 40%. So when it's cooled or when you reheat it, it reduces the, uh, the intake, the GI measure. Which is crazy. Yeah. Well, that, that's starch, which is just a string of, of glucose molecules. But isn't it weird that hot, it, when the, the temperature of the food has a difference? Yeah. It's good to know. Yeah, it's nuts. Resistant starch, try cooking rice, potatoes, beans, and pasta a day in advance and cool in the refrigerator overnight. Huh. Reheating doesn't decrease the amount of resistant starch. All right. Interesting, right? Yeah. So for just for health benefits, uh, cook your potatoes in advance, cool them off, and then reheat them again. It tastes the same, but it has a big difference in the way your body reacts to it. I assume we're not talking about French fries, though. Yeah, well, the French fries, you're dealing with those horrible fats unless you get them in duck fat. <laughs> you ever have duck fat fries? You've told me about them. I have oh, to try they're them. they're so good. They're so good. I don't think they're good for you, though. What? What? Probably not because all the shit you're putting on it, but would not fresh French fries then be kind of good because they're frozen and then you're reheating them? Maybe you're right. Maybe it's a health food. <laughs> <laughs> but then maybe like in and out fries, which are my favorite, are not that's, good. That's what I'm saying because they're fresh and f cut right then. Yeah, those are not. Those are the ones that are not good for you, right? McDonald's is the way to go. Oh, McDonald's are barely fries, man. That's like that's a sugar cube delicious. dressed up like a fry. That's like one of them vegan chicken sandwiches. It's not really chicken. I. Uh, I'm a big fan of fries, though. It's a problem. But sweet potato fries are better. But anytime you're deep frying something, like the odds are that shit's not good for you. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that because my stomach and, and digestion and the microbiome, the bacteria in my gut, have adapted to my, my lifestyle. What mm -hmm. I eat, if I eat something like that, a fried piece of chicken, the other day I, with my son, I ate this thing, fried piece of chicken in a sandwich. For at least two days, I, th I felt like I was going to throw up. It wouldn't go down because the, the bacteria in my gut are not ready for it. So that's what happens. But it's also been shown that your microbiome changes as you get older. And one way to restore that to a more youthful um, mix is not to eat so much. Mm. You need to uh, get your gut microbiome ready for Gus's Fried Chicken because <laughs> there's a place in town called Gus's Fried Chicken if you never had it. Right. It's a goddamn sensational fried we, chicken. We need to have a pill that you eat before that of, of the bacteria to digest yeah, it. I something. Think. Because, uh, man, that place yeah. is good. That's well, real fried chicken. I, I will take you up on that. Um, but one of the things you, you wanted to know is what can you replace snacks with? Yes. And what I do is I, I have warm drinks. It's either a hot herbal tea or in the morning I, I drug myself up with caffeine, but with coffee or tea. Know, down at the night mm -hmm. up in the morning I'm definitely you know like a normal human but hot drinks are the way to go I, I definitely if I'm a bit hungry if I just fill it up with hot water it feels great and uh, when you're drinking these teas they're decaf teas I assume it depends uh, after about 11 I don't have more caffeine because then I won't sleep because when I drink tea uh, like herbal tea or even a lot of times coffee on an empty stomach it kind of sets my stomach a little bit. But tea seems to be more so for some reason. Like a caffeinated tea on an empty stomach. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, you, you, liquids are the way to go. If you, and uh, again, if somebody tries this and says, I can't do it, I need to be sticking something in my mouth. There's a lot of hab- habit there. Yeah. Give it time, at least two weeks, and then you'll get used to it. Um, uh, there's a thing that people are doing now where they're trying to quit cigarettes, where it's like a wooden, I saw it advertised on Bridget Phetasy's show on Dumpster Fire. It's like some, like a wooden cigarette that gives you like flavors but it's not even a cigarette. You don't even light it because people are so accustomed to just putting something in their mouth and having this thing that they do to relieve stress. So as they're quitting cigarettes, this uh, the idea is that you're putting this thing as a replacement to the cigarettes. There's a lot to that. Uh, I've talked about my grandmother a lot. I wrote about her in my book. She was She's the reason I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. She told me to try and make humanity better. But um, so Vera used to smoke a lot and drink a lot it's surprising she made it as far as she did to 92. So when she quit smoking, um, it wasn't the addiction, but it, what she had this thing she needed to put in her mouth. So she had one of those cigarette holders, mm-hmm. and she was chewing on and sucking on that for a couple of decades, which as a kid was really off-putting. But you know, now I understand why she needed to. Andrew Dice Clay, you know the comedian? Yeah. He uh, quit smoking for a while. I think he went back to it. But when he quit smoking, he would just bring a cigarette everywhere. And he would just hold on to it. And he put it in his mouth, too, and he'd never light it. He put it behind his ear. He would just hang on to it, and he just didn't light it. And I was like, what, what kind of willpower is that? Like, imagine. It's right there. This is what you want. It's right there. And you decide to not do it. You know? But I was like, that's a real... No one's going to tell you to do that. Like, no one would tell you just carry it around. So he would, like, have one between his fingers and be talking to you and never light it. Yeah, that sounds harder. <laughs> But it's a strange thing that people develop these patterns where they feel like they must eat, right? They must put something in their mouth. They must smoke. They must hold on to something. What is that? Is that the thing? I think so. Yeah, that's it. It's called a fume. So what is in there? It's got oils. Oils. But it doesn't really smoke, right? It just... They have... You just suck on it? blanks. Blanks. But does it... Is it a vape? There must be something. See, there's like a little... Maybe make a... See if there's a video... See if, like, F-U-M has a video on, like, YouTube. They must have something on YouTube, right? Like, yeah, that's exactly it. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I went to her video to find it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Googleable, really, but I, it's very strange. I don't know. Yeah. I'll find a video. But it's just, to me, it's very odd that people have such incredibly ingrained patterns that that physical activity of just putting something to your mouth uh, can help alleviate some of the cravings. So is this lady there's using a little, one of them? Like, there's a little wick or something in there, it looks like. So she's uh, sticking it in there. Da, 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 you're talking too much, lady. Yeah, way too much talking. Let's get to the party. Come on. Oh, so yeah, okay. so she poured an essential oil on that. Oh, she looks... She might be annoying. So maybe it's a way to... <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding, lady. Don't get mad. Let me see what happens. Is she breathing it out? I don't even no, see any smoke. No get out of here with it's your voodoo. A, yeah. Get away from me with your trickery. One, one thing I, I'm curious about is well, why is it the mouth? Or, or if we had a drug, we stuck a needle in our eye, would we get addicted to that? Mm, that's a good point. Right. Wait, well, do coke addicts like want to put anything else up their nose when they quit coke? I don't no. think so. It's the mouth. So. What is it about us as a species that makes us want to suck on stuff? Maybe nipples from the time you're babies? There you go. That's Must a good be. theory. Ma- makes sense, right? Yeah. And plus... We associate food with pleasure. We're always putting food in our mouth. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hold on. We should write a paper together. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you got all the time. Long in the time world. coming. <laughs> yeah, I, this is a, it's, I don't even think it's marketed towards smoking, even though it obviously is, but it's calling itself aromatherapy as opposed to like smoking or oh. something like that. Which is. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> all those hardcore cigarette smokers are like, listen to me. <laughs> that is not going to do the job. Those people like head rushes. They like to get head rushed. Uh, you, you still doing mushrooms? Yes. How's that going? It's going well. Which That's ones are you talking about? I don't know. The, yeah, I do all good? kinds of them. Yeah, because I, I do still like the done nutritional it. ones. I do the psychedelic ones. The psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a company called Atai that uh, is turning these into actual drugs. They're doing really well. In what way? Uh, they're just re-engineering the molecules out of mushrooms to be able to help uh, cure things like or help with uh, PTSD and depression. Mm, yeah, it's, it's a big thing. I think you you helped start this whole trend. Maybe. Um, John Hopkins, I know, is doing some work. They're uh, planning on doing studies with uh, former UFC fighters and dealing with people that have uh, CTE. Yeah. Yeah, because neurogenesis, because uh, psilocybin in particular. Promotes neurogenesis? Yeah. Cool. Uh, MDMA is being very useful for PTSD, huh? Yes, for PTSD. CTE mm -hmm. is different. Yeah, oh, sure. yeah. That, that's from banging your head too much. Yeah. Um, PTSD, I had uh, Rick Doblin in here the other day from MAPS. And he's the one who is at the forefront of all this work and pushing this forward and getting approval to uh, use all of these Schedule One substances and trying to make them available for therapeutic use for people with all sorts of issues, PTSD and all sorts of trauma. It's an exciting time for brain research, actually, and for the yeah. patients, because it, there hasn't been much you could do for people who had m mental issues and even Alzheimer's. Now we have these tools that are only going to get better. Super exciting. One of the things we're doing in my lab that's exciting is, you know, we can age the brain forwards and backwards now. Really? Did I tell you that? No. Uh, so s since we last spoke, we, we published a paper uh, in the journal Nature in December that showed we could uh, not just accelerate aging, but now we can reprogram cells to make them. Oh, you know, a little bit. So we, we were able to reprogram the eye of a mouse. A blind mouse became um, able to see again by making the eye younger again. It's a gene therapy, but ultimately you want to make it just a, a pill that reverses aging. And uh, how'd you do it on a mouse's eye? Uh, we, so we package it in a virus, and it's drug inducible, so we could just take an antibiotic and turn it on. But it literally, it's just a quick injection in the eye, which we do to mice. It's easy. In humans, um, people get that all the time if they have macular degeneration or uh, need gene therapy to correct their genetic defect in their eye. And it doesn't hurt, it's very quick, in, in and out. And uh, what we did with those mice was we then turned on these three genes that are normally on, only turned on in embryos, and we reversed the age of those eyes, and they could, the mice could see again. And now we're just ticking off the various tissues and organs that we can rejuvenate and turn the clock back. And this is the same clock that I'm talking about with the cheek swab. We now have the ability to turn that clock back, and it looks like it's permanent. And, and so you, you set the clock back 50% in the body. Now we do the eye, but hopefully the whole body. And then you age out another couple of decades, take another course of antibiotics, go back again, and just rinse and repeat. Wow. And so what is happening? Like, how is it working? Well, we know some things. We know that the proteins in the cell that alter the clock are necessary for the vision to come back. So the clock isn't just a clock on the wall. It's actually representing time itself, which is amazing. Um, and we can read that with the same test we use for the cheek swab for people we use on the mice, but we you do a blood test on them. Uh, or we measure their eyes. We can extract their their eyes, forgive me, 
Uh, and then we measure the age of their eyes using the same clock test. But literally what it is is it's, we take their DNA out of each cell. Each cell has about six feet of DNA. And, uh, of course, it's bundled up very tightly. And how it's bundled up determines the age of the cell. So a, a, a young cell will have beautiful uh, loops of DNA and bundles that tells it to be a nerve cell at the back of the eye. But over time, what we see is in part due to DNA damage and cell stress and injury, those loops and bundles get disrupted. So now instead of this beautiful loop bundle pattern like a symphony on a piano, they come unraveled. So the, the bundles get unraveled. And instead of it being a symphony, the cell is playing a cacophony and no one wants to listen. And it, it, it messes up the cell's ability to work. They're still in the eye. They haven't died, but they're just not working like a nerve cell. In fact, they think they're more like a skin cell. They lose their identity. So when we put in our three gene combination and turn them on, somehow, we don't know how, those loops and bundles of DNA go back to the original structure, like uh, playing a concerto again, or, I mean, I use the analogy of a compact disc. For the young people, that's a little disc we used to put music on. But it, it, the aging process is analogous to scratches on a CD, mm. so that you skip songs when you get older, and, not, and, and literally we're skipping genes reading when we get older. And our treatment is like polish is is polishing the CD, so that the cell can now read the beautiful music of youth. Is this the stuff that Andrew Huberman uh, at Stanford is working on as well? We're collaborating. Yeah. yeah, and are you using that on people with normal macular degeneration, like age related? We want to. Uh, we're going to be testing Shoot it. Shoot it in this dude's eyes. I got issues. You do. Oh my God. Well. Yeah. Uh, I have I have a sign up sheet, but no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but we, we're going to be testing um, uh, macaque uh, monkeys to see if we can improve their vision, and if that works and it's all safe, then then you move to me. The FDA. Oh yeah, <laughs> one little step up. Yeah. So then we'll hopefully have FDA approval to go into our first patients in a couple of years from now, if oh, all goes well. Wow, that's that's incredible. And so down the line, this may be a thing that people do, where every X amount of months or years. You go in and you get a shot, and it backs your age up a few years. Well, for your eyes, yeah, but imagine one day, which is what we're right. developing, you put it in your vein, and you become transgenic, and then you just take an antibiotic for a month, and you get rejuvenated. Why, why the antibiotic? Oh, we just engineered it that way. We need a way to turn it on and off for safety reasons, mm. and an easy way to do that is just to use doxycycline, which is what people use for variety of antibiotic reasons there's some side effects to taking antibiotics though and uh do you mitigate those with probiotics we probably should but we don't yeah i have some friends that have had some real huge issues from staph infections and then taking antibiotics yeah it makes sense i mean your gut is so important and the, yeah. the gut blood barrier is increasingly known to be important for aging as that breaks down bacteria in your gut leak across leaky gut syndrome and we're finding, we scientists are finding bacteria showing up in cancers and even in the brain of Alzheimer's patients. And we think that they might be a cause of these diseases. Really? Yeah, it's brand new science. It's super exciting. So, Why do they think it's a cause of it? Well, anytime you associate one thing and another, you, you speculate that. But uh, it makes sense that bacteria in tissues could be creating inflammation. And inflammation is part of the aging process and diseases. Alzheimer's is very inflammatory. And the thought is, instead of attacking, let's take Alzheimer's, instead of attacking the plaque, which has been largely unsuccessful, it's a little bit successful, but not very, maybe we just take an antibiotic and kill those off in the brain. It's similar to when uh, this Australian Barry Marshall discovered that stomach ulcers 
uh, could be cured just with an antibiotic. Most people uh, younger than us probably don't remember stomach ulcers were thought to be due to increased acid. Yeah. It used to be a stress issue, people thought. We talked about it on the podcast the other day that it, it, it's actually a, a gut bacteria issue. Right. And Barry Marshall, an Australian uh, like me, we tend to experiment on ourselves. He gave himself this bacteria, got stomach ulcers, and then cured it with an antibiotic. So he gave himself bacteria that caused stomach ulcers on purpose. Yep. Oh, Christ. But it was worth it. He won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, I guess so. Well, he was on to something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, how, how much uh, goodness has he brought and uh, happiness has he brought to the world? That's what scientists should be all about. It's not just about publishing. That's what is the in immediate goal. But there are a lot of us like Andrew Huberman, you mentioned, uh, a really good guy, good friend of ours. He also wants to change the world. And he's from Stanford, one of the, the lesser universities. But <laughs> I love guys like that, uh, people like that, because... A lot of scientists are just about what's my next publication, but there are an, a few of us that look at what is the goal? What are we really trying to do here? We're trying to make the world a better place. How do we do that? Well, we'll innovate, we'll have IP, we'll start companies, we'll make drugs, and hopefully we'll be saving lives. One of the things I really like about Huberman is he does things publicly. So he's really big on using social media. He puts videos up on Instagram explaining these things, puts videos up on YouTube, and they're really easy to follow. And he'll show you and demonstrate to you, like like he had one today on the benefits of focus and posture, that there's like some actual real benefits in terms of alertness just by posture and where you're looking at with your eyes and science, you know, and he's, he's talking about this stuff. It's not anecdotal evidence. It's actual, he's talking about the real neuroscience behind all this stuff. And it makes it interesting and it makes people intrigued and it makes people look into things more. People should definitely check out his uh, his podcast it's it's great and yeah. he's he's showing the world that scientists can also be eloquent and educational and on the money and look like a hunk how about that oh he's yeah he was in the pool where i was drowning too so, uncomfortable yeah. to be shirtless with that guy i bet uh yeah, it's all right I don't, he looks I, like a superhero in a marvel movie he does like, he, he does it he looks like a guy that you would say that if you saw a marvel comics movie and that guy was a scientist you're like that guy's not a fucking scientist get out of here right well, mm -hmm. as I said, he's not at the at a great university. So, <laughs> uh, but but this so because me. he's not at a great university, he has time to work out. He's going to kill me. Um, but he, but please I do think, listen to his I stuff. I think it's he good. knows he has a sense of humor. Uh, a little. One. How bad is Stanford though? Not good. No, it's great. <laughs> it's great. He might recruit me out there. Let's see. But but this brings me to the third trait that makes us different from animals, which is the storyteller. This is what we do. And mm. Andrew's great at it. He's great at it. So it got us to this point. We needed stories because we didn't yeah. have written words initially. We had to tell history. And, oh, the flood came up to here when yes. I was a baby. Um, and But that that's screwing us as well. It got us here. It's our history. But now we don't know what to believe. Right. You go, we've got QAnon. We've got the internet. You try to buy a supplement. How do you know what supplement you can buy? What do you right. trust? And the other problem is we, we don't know who to trust. I mean, you and I, we spend, I think, half of our lives trying to figure out if someone lying to us or not. Yeah. It takes a lot of brain power. In fact, I would argue that the reason we have such big brains is that once we became liars, we had to be lie, lie detectors too. And then there's this game. That's about. interesting. I never really thought about that. Like, like yeah, you, once you figured out a way to communicate, we also figured out a way to be deceptive. But then you got to figure out if they like yeah, the con game yeah. yes right. and then the fourth trait is future seers we became able to to project our mind back in time and forward in time and what's important about that is if someone's you can lie to someone i could tell you that i don't know i'm i 
I'm going to be your best friend and I'm going to screw you, really. Right. So you need to detect that. But also I need to know, do I need to, to, to be your friend in the future and am I taking the right risk? So that, am I going to take the risk to lie to you? Absolutely not. You're one of the most well-known people in the world. I'm not going to take that risk. But if I meet someone at the supermarket, you know, I can lie to them because I know in the future it doesn't matter what they think. And that together, the storyteller and the future seer, is also what gets us to this point. But these also are the, the traits that will get us out of the problem we've got, which brings me back to Andrew. We need scientists to be the storytellers. We can't just have people saying, oh, I heard from a friend, this is a fact, or go to a website, trust us, our product works. Because that's untrustworthy. And Andrew is one of the first, if not the first and the best scientist to engage the public in, in a way that you know is, is now a, a mega hit. Um, and be a world-class scientist at the same time. And so I, I, I said to Andrew at the beginning of COVID, here are the people I work with. I got the best media guys in the world, people in the world. Run with them. Go for it. And he's be, become a megastar. And the other, the other day I was saying, you know, damn it. Why shouldn't I do that? So I, here am I saying I'm, I'm about to, uh, to work on having myself talk about this as well. And so Andrew's going to teach me how he did it. So you're going to start a podcast? You're going to start video blogging? You start doing the whole damn thing? It's going to be different than this format. It's going to be new, but I'm going to try it. What's a different format? It's going to be a sh short mini-series, and so we'll see how it goes. A short mini-series? Yeah. Yeah, what's the plan? Like, what are you going to release it on? YouTube? Yeah. Yeah? What do you think? Yeah, sure. Perfect. Great. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. I'll promote it. I'll let you know. I'll let people know, rather. Thanks. That's exciting. So what is the, like, you got to just talk about anti-aging, the scope of your research? like. Uh, so the first um, eight-part series is going to be some of the, the themes that people keep asking me about uh, in the book. People have read the book, keep saying, you know, what do you take? How much do you take? When do you take? There's all the, the stack mm -hmm. bros get that. Um, and then there's other th things about sleep. How do you improve that? How do you improve what's, I mean, basically what we've talked about today but in greater detail and more prescriptive and, and why it works. Um, I'm probably going to have a co-host who is my co-author, we'll see, uh, but he's a super funny guy. And uh, that's the idea. But what, what I find is that I get so many emails every day. I, I took my email off the internet. Somehow it's, it still can be found. Please don't write to me, please. Read um, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> but but my, point, my point is that I know what people crave for information, and I'm a storyteller myself. I love educating. It's been one of the greatest things is bringing up three kids and telling them about the world. And I want to do that on, on a grand scale. Well, you certainly have a lot to offer, and you certainly have a perspective that I think a lot of people um, could benefit from. And you understand things that are super important for life that most people are unaware of when it comes to, like, longevity and the strategies and what the, the actual significant impact of all these things that we've discussed so far today. I mean, it's amazing when I talk to people that are, like, are seemingly health conscious that are not aware of all this stuff. And I kind of get it because one of the beautiful things about this podcast is it, it's my job to talk to people like you. So I've gotten this sort of accidental education over the past 12 years. Well, thank you for doing this. Guys like me, uh, people like me and scientists, we, we never had this platform to come and speak to you. Before that, we were speaking through reporters, newspaper reporters typically, and it was mangled and hyped and it was embarrassing and every story was, was there was a lie or something wrong in there and a headline that was, we're all going to live forever. 
And I, I rarely talk to the old media anymore because it's just too risky. I want to talk directly to the public, and it's been great. This is a new world. That's exactly how I feel about interviews. That's why I don't do interviews because they'll take my words out of context. They'll edit it. They'll take something that I've said and, and put meaning to it that's not true. And they do it because of clickbait, because their business is to sell things. And I'm, I, I think it's very unfortunate. I think it's changed pretty radically since the Internet. It's one of the few things that I think, I think true journalism has suffered in some ways because of the Internet. I think independent journalism, like the Matt Taibis and the Glenn Greenwalds and the people that still practice independent journalism, they've, they've thrived because of this, this vacuum this, that's been created. But I think there's many uh, publications today, particularly the ones that are online, that survive by clickbait. They need clicks, and if they don't get clicks, they don't get advertisements. So if they can twist things a little bit in the title or give you a deceptive title but then sort of correct itself in the body of the work, they'll do that. But a lot of people just read the title, and they're like, did you hear David Sinclair says he's re living forever? And then next thing you know, like you have to talk to your colleagues. So, David, telling people you're living forever? You're like, I didn't say that. Right, right. I even Shit. get called into back rooms at Harvard with lawyers who say, you couldn't say that. And I went, I don't think I said that. So I, I also now record interviews just in case. As oh, that's that's huge. Yeah, yeah. That, that's huge. And it's um, it's just it's unfortunate that it's necessary. And I, I get it from their perspective. Look, we all benefit greatly from journalism. I benefit greatly from reading these stories. I get educated. But it it when when someone writes something that's not accurate about me, then I go okay. Well, what are you telling me that's not accurate about Syria? Or what do you? You yeah. can't trust anything, right? right? And and even your doctor. They they find it hard to keep up with all of this. They don't know what's true. I, I recently saw my doctor after a year in, in, in um, indoors after COVID, and it was a virtual meeting with my doctor. And he's a Harvard trained Harvard um, specialist, so you think top of the top of the world. And so this is how the meeting goes: you know, Hi, doctor. Hi, doctor. Whatever. Um, so how are you feeling? Feeling good. Okay. So how's your sleep? Blah blah blah. So it was just questions. Okay, we're done. I went. Hang on. That's not enough. You know, don't you want to know about this or this or this? And I said, for example, give me a prostate-specific antigen test, PSA, which is important for people our age because prostate cancer can show up. So his question to me was, uh, well, do you have a family history? Um, and he said, oh, your father's not alive. I went, half the world knows my father's still alive. You don't even know that my father's still alive. That's firstly a problem. <laughs> Second of all, I said, no, he doesn't have prostate cancer. Never had it. He goes, okay. Well, do you have any symptoms? No, but why the hell am I going to wait till I get prostate cancer before I come and see you? Get the test. And he goes, okay, get the test. But that's the problem with medicine right now. Mm. You either have to be sick or have a family history before they treat you. So one of the things I've been saying for years in, in my book especially is aging is a disease and it's treatable. And you know, I think we all have a family history of aging. So let's treat it. Let's try to prevent it. And, uh, you know, I think that we'd really have a much better society if we came in early and tried to stop things before they actually occurred and we went in and we were sick. That's an interesting perspective. We all have a family history of aging. <laughs> it's a terrible disease. It it's, really is. I yeah. mean, it truly, truly is. Um, do you think, do you anticipate a time where we actually will completely stop and reverse aging in our lifetimes? Uh, if you will old ladies that, look hot again? So that there's well, they the, look like twenty-five-year-old ladies. Well, let's see if we can make really hot mice first. 
Uh, that's the first. Test. Come on, man. The old ladies don't have much time. They can't wait for you to publish my studies. So that, that here's the, here's the good news: that there is a massive mega trend zeitgeist revolution in aging research. I used to be in the backwater of biology 20, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Now, billions of dollars are being poured into research and development. It's super exciting. There's new breakthroughs all the time in leading scientific journals and companies being developed for new ways to treat skin, to rejuvenate that, uh, livers, kidneys, and eventually whole body. So is it going to happen in my lifetime that we can reverse aging in part of the body? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to die trying. Um, and I think in, if we're really lucky, in two years, we'll have a success. Whoa. Can we make old ladies look young again? I don't know, but I know that just in the same way as the Wright brothers built the right flyer with powered flight, it was an inevitability that there was going to be a Concorde um, and a jumbo jet 747 and go to the moon. It's going to happen. It's just a question of how much we as a world want to invest and accelerate it. Those old ladies listening are crossing their fingers right now. Come on. What's his email? What's his Come email? Come on, doctor. Get it together. Um, in the future, Let's look. Let's not even put a timeline on it, but let's like think about how this technology progresses. And just assuming um, we don't blow ourselves up or get hit by an asteroid or the aliens land and stop all the nonsense. When you look at the future, you anticipate human beings, science, to have complete control over this process and the ability to literally bring the body back to peak form in their prime. Absolutely. Wow. We are tool makers. We are a few species. We can do anything we want. Yeah. Right? I'm I'm like Elon, but for the way I think about biology is we can do anything. We can understand it. There are many species that live longer than us. Right? We've got an elephant clock, cheek swabs from elephants, right? That they, they they've figured out how to not get cancer for for a hundred years. Um they have multiple copies of a, a gene called P53, which protects them. We only have two copies. And that's just an example. We can engineer ourselves either through medicine or through even genetically changing our species so that we don't ever get cancer, at least not for centuries. And that's that's doable that with today's technology. What about genetically engineering ourselves so we're not susceptible to viruses, things like covid like getting ourselves into a position where those things have a minuscule effect on us. Like well, the, that yeah. something like COVID would really only be like, like it is for the most healthy folks where it's like a minor cold. Well, what COVID taught us is that your age matters, not just for how you look and diseases like heart disease, but dying from infection. So if you can stay young, let's say you've been exercising, eating the right things, eating less, you will be literally younger based on that clock and you will have a much better chance of surviving COVID. If you're obese and you don't exercise, we saw those were the most susceptible to infections. So one is stay young. The second is there, there will be medicines to rejuvenate the body. We're, we're testing our NAD boosting drug right now in COVID in 30 hospitals around the US. So fingers crossed for that. Maybe not for COVID, but eventually the next virus that will definitely come. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you remember in my book, I which came out a few months before COVID, I said, we're going to be hit by a virus, a pandemic. Yeah. And, it, and most people went, yeah, here he goes again. But it happened. Unfortunately, I, I mean, I'm not proud of predicting it, but it was, I knew this would happen. And so I was getting ready for it. Um, anyway, so that, that that's what the technology is. There's a third technology, which is we could engineer our genes. Our children could be resistant to viruses. That we could do as well. 
And when you think about these things happening, like what would be the mechanism to engineer our genes? Like would, would you be using CRISPR? Would you be using some as of yet not invented technology? Like, Well, I can imagine a few ways. Uh, just the way vaccines work, you stimulate uh, the production of antibodies that recognize certain proteins, like the spike protein on the outside of COVID-19, uh, or SARS-CoV-2. Uh, and so we could have, the, the, we could definitely make children that would never have uh, a problem with, with SARS. The problem, though, is that viruses are smarter than us in many ways because they evolve super fast, and we always are one step behind them. So I don't think it makes sense actually to genetically modify for specific viruses. But there might be ways that are universal, an antibody that recognizes all flu proteins. We could put that into children, and they never get flu. Wow. Now. When you look at uh, human bodies, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is uh, how how much variety there is in terms of like how we react to certain things, uh, how like allergies and things along those lines, and how people react differently to different foods. Um, is there a way that you can anticipate where one day we'll be able to give someone a test and say, oh? Your ancestors uh, thrived on these particular types of foods, and these are more beneficial to your body. Because it seems like this one-size-fits-all approach that some people preach, it's just not effective for everybody. It might work with that one person. It's sort of like, do you remember that, that book, The Secret? You remember, like, everybody's like, you can wish yourself and think about the future, and you can make it happen. But they only talk to people that were actually successful. And they're like, I dreamed it into reality. You're like, oh, my God, that's all you have to do? But they didn't talk to all the people that dreamed it into reality and it failed miserably. Like, like, like oh, uh, how'd you win the lottery? I bought a ticket. Oh, right. cool. So if someone says, like, uh, you know, the key to health is to only eat meat, um, some people, that fucking works. It really works. There's some people that eat carnivore diets and their eczema clears up and their their brain fog goes away and they're healthier these sort of diets where um, your elimination, elimination diets. But I know other people that go vegan and they go vegetarian and they just, they basically get all their protein from plants and they feel much better. So there's obviously some sort of a biological variability that exists in people. We know it is, right? I'm not allergic to peanuts, but you can't even eat peanuts on planes anymore because some people are so allergic that the dust from you chewing peanuts can get them deathly ill. Well, thank you for saying that, because for far too long, we've treated the average human, and none of us are average. Right. And we're changing the way we treat people in medicine and with wellness, because we have to personalize it. And the only way to personalize something and to know if it's working for you is to measure it, hence you know, the, the company that I'm building, to measure things. But that's really important, because it now means we can tailor your food to you your supplements, your exercise, because they're, they're really, like you say, everybody responds differently. I have a different microbiome in my gut than anyone else on the planet. And how do I know? Well, I measure it. I can measure these things. And so in the future, and not too distant future, we can even have an app on our phone that will say, all right, your latest reading from your heart, from your, from your, uh, your swab, says that you're deficient in these things, and your epigenome, the, the, the scratches on the CD are looking like this. You've got that scratch, you've got that scratch. To correct that, go to that restaurant. They've got a special meal for you. Wow. 
a special meal to correct issues. That would be the most bizarre thing. If you could go to a restaurant and a restaurant would serve you a meal that's been genetically engineered to correct all the issues that you have. Right. And the problem today is that we, we can measure our genome and you, there are a number of companies that can do that, but we're missing the other half of the information, which I would say is even more important for health, which is the epigenome, the control systems, this clock that I'm talking about, which we can measure. And that together tells you whether you're going to be an asthmatic or susceptible to diabetes. Because the, the DNA itself is just um, like a code. We don't know how that code's being used throughout our life. And it changes every time we have a meal, every time you see something, it's changing in your body. So you've got to measure both of those to get the real answer to whether what you're doing is working and how to fix it. This has got to be a very rewarding career path for you because you're you're not just engaged in something that's intellectually stimulating, but you're engaged in something that could potentially benefit the human race in a spectacular way. What is that like, knowing that you're working on this stuff? Uh, well, I'm Australian, so I'm, I'm just happy to be here. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? I'm happy to be alive. I wake up and I was like, oh, I'm not dead. That's cool. Are you know? Australians like happy? We are generally just happy. We don't have egos. It's beaten into us as kids. In school, if I got an A, whatever, if I said that, I'd get beaten up. Tall poppy syndrome? It's exactly that. Yeah. So I, I'm wired not to get a big ego. People don't know that's a Australian expression, right? Right. It, but it, it's self-explanatory, right? Yeah, the, well, I guess so. The, the tall poppies, they want to drag them down. Well, you get cut off. If you stick, yeah. it, stick your head up above the rest of the poppies, you get cut out, cut off. Oh, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but what does it feel like to be in this position? Well, it. I mean, it certainly feels satisfying but i'm never satisfied right you you're the same this is our personality but i also feel a tremendous sense of responsibility because i do have the ability i think to change the world um and i want to make the right decisions and not get distracted or, or waste my time actually when when you know that 150,000 155,000 people will die today from old age it's really hard to take a day off is there a possibility that one day doing this and all this work might lead to a substantial increase in overpopulation? No. No? Mm -mm. How come? Uh, well, even in the U.S. now, population is declining. The fertility rates have gone down. Uh, and when you do the math, uh, the, the rate of people who die from aging is barely re the replacement of, uh, um, of, well, birth is barely replacing the people who die especially in most of the world. I mean, there's still certain parts of the world that are reproducing at high rates, but even those are coming down. I was in Africa uh, a while ago, and there were these people I talked to on the ground, uh, literally on the ground, were saying, yeah, we used to have you know 10 kids, as, and now we have two, and we want them both to go to college. So that we are in a world now where if we don't do anything, population's going to decrease, which isn't that great either, to be honest. Um, but we also have technology to solve the way we treat the planet. There's no way we can continue exploiting the planet the way we do right now, even with the current uh, you know, seven to nine billion that, that, that we'll have on the planet, steady state, which is predicted. Um, Bill Gates talks about this wonderfully on YouTube. Please check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, and so the future of humanity is it's gonna be steady state. Maybe it'll top out at 10 billion, but even with uh, aging, not being cured, but slowed down and extended health-wise, we're not going to run out of room. Um, but resources, yes, but that's going to happen anyway. So what we need to do is to sol solve the healthcare problem. We spend 17% of GDP in the US on 
on sick care. It's not even healthcare anymore. Mm. Um, and if you can save, let's say, even a few percent of that, within that decade, that's trillions of dollars that you save that can put be put towards research and development for climate change and other things uh, that we need to solve as well. There was a woman that I had on recently, Dr. Shanna, um, the woman who talked about phthalates and the uh, all the various... Uh, envi- she's an environmental epidemiologist, Shanna Swan. And she was amazing. And she wrote a book. What is the book called? She she wrote a book on declining fertility rates, declining testosterone rates, um, de- decline, uh, increase in miscarriages, and decri- declining birth rates in uh, people that's directly related to the amount of phthalates that we find in their body, which come from em- environmental toxins, ma- primarily from plastics. There it is. That's the book. It's called Countdown, How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race. It's an amazing, amazing book. And the podcast was incredible. She's so interesting. And she's really funny. Like, uh, she has a thing on her thing on her, her uh, Instagram called the Jizz Quiz. Yeah. Like, because, like, it, like, literally, if you track the phthalates... In, in the water supply and in food supply and in human beings, there's a direct correlation between the introduction of petrochemical products and the decline in sperm production and the decrease in the size of the taint, which is really crazy because taints apparently in mammals are one of the very best ways of telling the difference between males and females. Because the taints in males are generally 50 to 100% larger than the taints in females. But the introduction of phthalates is shrinking these taints. And it's making male penises smaller. It's making the testicles smaller and lowering the sperm count. And people are on testosterone replacement earlier in life. They have lower fertility, lower sperm count earlier in life. And generally, they have less energy. They have less vitality. And it's these fucking chemicals that are in our plastics that are leaching into our bodies, but it's measurable. And it's only really been studied to the extent where she's describing it in these peer-reviewed studies that have come out over the last decade. This is a new science and a new understanding of this impact, and it's really terrifying. Uh, yeah, it, it is. And, and it's, it's, on, it's on the theme that I mentioned, which is we've, we've gotten to this point with, with technology, but technology s- screws us. So we have to engineer our way out of the problems that we've created for ourselves. And this is a treadmill that we may never get off. But we need to embrace science to understand what's making us sick and then solve that with ingenuity and the FU gene. Um, I don't microwave plastics anymore for, for that very reason. Mm. It's, it's scary. There's PCBs and all sorts of stuff. I mean, I truly be- believe that that is, is a, an issue for us. Um, there, there's a real problem with testosterone, too, with men, um, that it goes down with aging, but it's just going way down. Um, one of the best ways to, besides taking either a cream or an injection of testosterone, is what you do. And what I, I do a little less than you is to build up your your core body muscles. The big muscles actually tell your testes to make more testosterone. Mm. And for me, that's been helpful. Uh, I, I do hip hinge exercises a fair bit, um, try to build like up those muscles. swings, like kettlebell swings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why hip hinge? Uh, well, partly because my piriformis was destroyed, but um, also because... Uh, at least my trainer says that that'll help me uh, maintain strength around my core. 
And one of the problems with aging is w- when you fall over, you break your hip, and this is going to prevent that. Well, any time you're adding weight, like any weight-pushing exercises, you're building bone density. And one of the problems with sedentary people is when you're not weight-bearing, you're not carrying things around, you're not lifting, and you don't have any resistance exercises, your bones get fragile as you get older, especially with our mineral-poor diets. You know, there's just mineral-poor diets, no weight resistance, not good. But if there was, like, one exercise that you can do that is, like, if someone said, all right, I just want to do one thing, I might say kettlebell swings. Yeah. You know, because you can you can do kettlebell swings with heavy weights, too, and it's an incredible body exercise. You're using so many different things. You're using your grip. You're using your leg muscles. You're using your back. You know, you're using your traps, your shoulders. It's a lot going on when you think about taking something and doing this and swinging it all the way up and swinging it. And you could do it for repetitions. You could do it like heavyweight, do low reps. You know, it's a good – with lightweight, it's a good way to warm up an exercise. That's how I start out my warm-ups. I jump rope, and then I do light kettlebells, like 30-pound kettlebell swings. Yeah, great. I, I just can't tell you how much better I feel having done about three years of more intense exercise like that. Uh, anyone who isn't lifting weights, you, you got to do it. Yeah, um, I agree. You just feel so much better. you got spring in your step. You don't get tired. Uh, you, you feel like a new human. And so I, I've lost a fair amount of weight since COVID, um, stopped eating large meals, and I've never felt better. Um, this, I'm not calling it a prescription, but what I've done to my body over the last 10 years, if you measure my blood biochemistry um, and even this mouth swab test, um, I'm younger than my chronological age. In fact, I've been getting younger over the last decade. So 10 years ago. Based on those tests. You're younger now than you were 10 years ago. Right. Wow. Though, And you can maintain this. Uh, I'm on a trajectory to be getting younger, yeah. That's so crazy. So what do you think is, the, is you think it's just a combination of all the things, or do you think it's metformin? Do you think it's an NMN? Do you think? Well, I, th- I think it's the combination because I, I'm a scientist and I add things one by one and then measure them. Mm-hmm. Again, you've got to measure something if you're going to fix it. And so I add things. Sometimes they do nothing to my age or to my health or how I feel or my, my mental ability. And then I don't do that anymore. And then I add something else. Great. That worked. I keep that. And then I'm just adding that on. Um, I would say I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room by any means at school. I was, you know, reasonably intelligent, but I wasn't the smart one. Um, but I think that through what I'm doing and through mind exercises and just running a marathon in my mind, um, figuratively speaking, every day, I am smarter than I used to be. And it's interesting, right? I'm engineering my body to be better and better and younger and younger as I go. Yeah, that's a real thing. You can get smarter. Yeah. I mean, I did it accidentally, I think. (laughs) Wow. Doing this podcast. Oh, that's true. Talking to people. Because if you go back and listen to the early podcasts, I mean, look, there's times today that I sound like a moron. But if you go back into 2009, I really sound fucking stupid. Um, and I think that's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. It's just that's who I was then. I was a dumber person. I was less aware. Well, this is why we need to live longer because, mm. I mean, you're you're in peak condition mentally, physically, right? I'm in very good condition both, yeah. yeah. I, I think definitely mentally this is the smartest I've ever been. Physically, there's certain things just because of injuries, like particularly like back injuries that my body has a hard time doing at full clip, like martial arts. But it's just because of the unusually extreme demands that the things that I'm interested in require, like jujitsu and kickboxing are two 
very explosive things. So the, the pressure on the tendons and the joints is pretty extreme. It's an unusual demand. Fair enough. I mean, you, you've, you've had a, a harder physical life than I have. But my point is that our brains only become good at 50. Uh, how old are you? 53. 53 Almost so. 54. I'll be 54 in August. Okay. Well, similar. I'm, I'm t- about to turn 52 next week. But we're, you know, we used to think of 50. Look how good your hair looks. It's amazing. Thanks. Thanks. No color? Did you put any color in that? Uh, is that your actual hair color? I dyed it, but I don't have gray. Oh. I, I tried to go summer blonde. Uh, summer blonde? And it how went, dare it you? went orange. So Why don't you spike it? Uh, I, I was messing with my hair. I was, I was bored during COVID. How about you get fr- frosted tips? No, I, I should. I was bored, but uh, I have no gray hair on any, you, you any of my body. Just for the hell of it? You should make it all gray just to freak people out. I was. I told my kids that, and they went, don't do it. But it's they fashionable more, now. Girls were doing that for a while. Yeah. You know, young girls were, were dyeing their hair gray. It's uh, real weird. It's like what a hot old lady would look like. Yeah. Well, fashion's a funny thing. Yeah, it's a weird one. But um, what do you think is causing you to not have gray hair? Is that genetic? Like, does your father have dark hair? Uh, my father uh, lost his hair, a lot of it, by 30 and is fully gray. My mother had um, color in her hair when she was still 70 when she died. So it may be genetic, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy. I'm not doing any. I'm not plastic surgery. I don't have had hair transplant or anything. You look really good. Like for a guy who's fifty-two, your skin looks like very pliable. You look like you look youthful. Well, there's one way to tell. Um, you know, pe- people can Botox anywhere, right? But if you, I've got headphones on, but if you look near their ear, you get the wrinkles. You can if you look at someone's ear and around that. That's and you don't Botox that. How's your yeah. ear? Do you have uh, a young ear? Pretty young. Pretty young. Uh, Thank yeah, you. It, Everyone can check out my ear. But ears grow. That's what gets really crazy. When you see old, old dudes, they have ears as big as these headphones. <laughs> Straight, old dudes have giant fucking ears. Like you run into like a 75-year-old guy, you're like, whoa, look at the size of his ears. Yeah. What the hell's happening there? I have no idea. But if, <laughs> if only other parts would grow, it would be good. Ha <laughs> 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 sorry. Imagine if old dudes are just, yeah. Uh, but my, what I wanted to say before is your, our minds are at their peak yes. so far. Maybe they're going to get better. So we need to allow people to live longer. A lot of people start off careers that, I mean, first of all, we need people like you to stick around for longer. The planet needs you. And so my goal is to li- let people be healthier for longer. And if, you do, if you're healthy, you don't die, right? So that's the idea of all this research. But also, if you get longer life, you have more choices. You can have, have kids later. Um, you're, you can change careers. If you're busting roads for a living and you hate it, why not have two years of a paid skillbatical from the government or a loan and yeah. change? Uh, go go, make guitars or start a band or become a therapist. Whatever you want to do, it gives you more options during life if you're not worried at 50 that it's all downhill. Did you call it a skillbatical? Yeah. So like a sabbatical where you learn a new skill? Yeah. Is that your own term? Yeah. I like that. All right. You slipped it in there. You didn't even, didn't even address it. Trademark, yeah. <laughs> I think you're you're making a ton of sense, and I think also as you get older, there's there's something that happens to people as you live your life, hopefully, where you keep making mistakes, but you make less of the same mistakes because you go, oh, I remember the last time I fucked this up. I'm not going to do this like that anymore. Now I'm going to, and then you anticipate, well, if I do that, that's going to cause problems, so I'm going to do this. And then as you get to be 50 years old, you have a lifetime of these things that you can draw upon. Hopefully, you have a lifetime of corrections of mistakes that led to success. 
unfortunately for some people, it's just disaster after disaster, and they never develop either a, a strategy or a pattern of behavior that leads to improvement in the way they think and behave. Yeah. Well, you need reflection. Yes. Uh, and and this, this is us as the, the time traveler species that makes us different than all of the others, is that we have a very good ability of, le- in general, learning from our mistakes. And people like us at every night are like, oh, man, I screwed that up. I got to yeah. fix that. And that's a way of improving yourself throughout your whole life. And that's what we call wisdom. Um, and, you know, I know when, when you're 20, probably you and I, uh, as well as most 20-year-olds, think that we're the smartest people on the planet. We can solve everything and the old people don't know anything. But if you're 20 and listening to this, I can tell you, guaranteed, that when you're our age at 50, you've got so much wisdom to refer to because you will make mistakes and you will learn from them. And that's why I like being an educator is that I don't want my students uh, or anyone on the planet to make the same mistakes I've made. And I've made plenty along the way. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of being able to talk to to people. It's like you can learn from their mistakes without having to make the same mistakes. Yeah. Like you really can. You don't have to necessarily have only experience in order to learn. You can most certainly learn. Like I've never done cocaine. The reason I've never done cocaine, when I was in high school, one of my best friend's cousin was selling coke. And I watched his life deteriorate. I watched him be addicted. All they wanted to do was do coke. And they, would, they had this apartment in an attic. And they would just sit there and just look fucking weird and watch movies. Like, they were gone. And I said, wow. It's like I knew him before when, he, when we were all younger, when we were high school kids. And then I knew him later. And I was like, this is like watching a person who's been bit by a vampire. And then for me, it was like, that drug fucks you up. And so I learned from other people's mistakes. Right. Well, th- this is the storyteller in us as well. We can learn from from other people's uh, wisdom. Yeah. Um, and so we have to have respect for elders as well. And one of the things that I really loved seeing during COVID was that we really cared about the older people. I didn't know humanity really cared about older people. We were kind of ageist. They're old, put them in a nursing home, who cares? But I think what COVID showed us is that many of us really do care about older people. And that was really reassuring. I have more faith in humanity now. Well, overall, like the the problem with the thought of do you care about older people is it's so abstract. Like, yeah, you care about them, but they'll be fine. They're all, they're over there. They're just doing their thing. But then when you find out that there's a disease that targets old people disproportionately, and then unfortunately, what happened in places like New York State where they were taking people that are COVID positive and bringing them back into nursing homes and it ran through them like fire. That kind of shit we hear about, it just makes you so sad when you think about like the last few years with your grandmother that you could have enjoyed and now she's gone because of this fucking disease, you know, and people say, oh, well, uh, you know, she was 86. What'd you expect? Well, didn't expect someone to bring a COVID positive patient back into the nursing home and infect her and everybody else around her. Like she could have lived a few extra years and enjoyed her family a few extra years and they could have had those memories. So I think... It made us directly aware of many, many things about our mortality and about what's precious and what's important. And because so many people were forced to stop working and so many people lost their businesses, it I think it made people rely on community more, too. You know, there's a lot of negatives that happened during this COVID where this, uh, this pandemic where a lot of like really hysterical people, and I don't mean that in a, fa- a funny way. I mean, people that were like prone to anxiety and people that have a different, difficult time with stress 
in a difficult time with adverse conditions and situations, it, this accentuated them past their breaking point. And you see them on Twitter just freaking out, wearing three masks and screaming out the window. There's a lot of people that lost their fucking mind. And I'm hoping that we can bring some of those people back to baseline over the next few months and slowly, you know, just everybody calm the fuck down. Let's learn something from this. Let's do better. And what I really hope people learn as they go over the studies and they look at all these things that we've learned is your health is of paramount importance. It is the most important thing. The number one comorbidity besides vitamin D levels is obesity. And you can control that. You can control both of those things. Right. Well, we might get some hate mail um, or hate tweets. Whenever I talk about obesity, there's always a few people that say, what are you hating on fat people for? It's not what I'm saying. It's not what you're saying. We're saying, look at the data. Yeah. Look at the data. What is bad for you? You cannot say that being very overweight is a healthy thing for most people. And that's all I'm saying. It's not it's a good decision. For you. It's no. just not good for you. It's not hating on a person's state. And listen, I easily could be a fat person. A lot of people listening to this could be a fat person. It's about a pattern of behavior that leads to an adverse result that is that will affect every single human being listening to this. If you chose to eat the wrong foods and live a sedentary lifestyle, it is inevitable. It is just ha what happens. It is. And it's, it's part it, of being a person. But also what we're talking about is, comes from, from love. We, yes. we want everybody to, to live well and be the best person they yes. can be. Yeah, be happy. I want people to be happy. I want people to feel good. It feels better to have a healthy body. When, you know, I've been in situations where I gained weight and not even that much. But then when I lost the weight, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel so much better. Like that's a guy gaining 10 pounds and losing 10 pounds. That's not a lot. But if you're 50, 60, 70 pounds, like my friend Laura Bites, she's a hilarious stand-up comic. And uh, she was on the podcast recently and I hadn't seen her since uh, I was in California, and she lost, like, how much did she lose? Like 60 pounds? 50 pounds? A lot. She lost a lot. She looks fantastic. She just, she just, she found out, she's really funny, she found out at the beginning of the, the pandemic, she's like, well, what's the thing that it fucks you up the most if you're fat? She goes, well, shit, I'm fat. Time to lose weight. And, you know, like, she just decided to go on a, a sensible, reasonable diet and exercise. She's online programs, so like followed someone online and is now on a total health path. And when you talk to her, she's like, everything feels so much better. I have so much more energy. My body feels better. You, I can move better. Oh, yeah. yeah. Think yeah. better. Everything. Yeah. So a, a friend of mine who I've co-published a couple of papers with, uh, Ray Cronus, he advocates the cold therapy. And we came up together and we published this thing called the metabolic winter hypothesis, which is in when we were out in caves, we're, we're Cro-Magnon people, uh, we would go through winter being hungry and cold. And that that is what we need to be healthy or at least mimic that. And so the, the fasting and cold therapy is what we've evolved uh, and what our bodies need to be, to be in tip-top shape. Uh, and the problem is we, we basically stay warm. We especially here in Austin. It's pretty warm mostly. And uh, so that his prescription, which has worked really well um, for some celebrities he's worked with, um, among others, is that you want to be slightly chilly. Keep your house temperature down. Sleep without blankets. Um, and, and don't eat a lot. And he says, I think it was something like, if you don't shed half a pound a day, you're not doing it right. 
half a pound a day, eventually you'll be nothing. Right, but he's, he's starting with people who are really big. Oh, okay. But it works great, uh, that combination. Just being uncomfortable and cold. Well, not even uncomfortable, just slightly chilly. Uh, but he also prescribes things like uh, cold jackets, and there's even a, th- a thing that Laird Hamilton was telling me. He has this chilly jack- uh, jacket that he sleeps in and stays cold at night. So it's, it's actually chilled? Yeah, he said so. Yeah. So it's got like an electrical supply or something that cools you off? I don't know. I don't know if, Jamie, you can find that. We'll have to ask later. I was using one of those uh, mattress covers for a while in L.A., and uh, I liked it, but I, I fucked up a couple of times. And one time I made it too cold, and I was w- waking up in the middle of the night shivering. That yeah, was that, a problem. That's overdoing it. That's me. <laughs> and then the other time, uh, one of them leaked, um, and it was my mattress was wet. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like the, the th- you know, because what it is is essentially like – you put this cover over it, and the cover has these tubes in it, and the tubes have water, and, the, and then there's a machine that sits by the bed, and the machine cools the whole deal. Why aren't you using, like, a whole mattress? I still do. Love yeah. it. Yeah, which, which one do you uh, use? The one I use called 8Sleep. Yeah. It's very similar. You can change. You can make it hot if you want. If you like to go the other way, you can mm. have different zones if the person you're with doesn't want it to be cold, so you can not have to freeze them out, too. Yeah, I almost feel like I can't sleep without it, to be honest with you. Like, I get really? mad if I have to sleep somewhere else. I'm like, fuck, it's not going to be cold. I'm going to be so hot. I'm going to be sweating. Interesting. So yeah. when you go to a hotel room, you notice a big difference. I know it's going to suck. I just know I'm not going to have a good sleep. And yours is an actual, the way eight works, it's an actual like, mattress itself, no, it, right? No, it, it, it's it covered, cover? it, but it's a bit, it's like proprietary to their mattress. But I think they now actually have a, a really big cover. It's I think it works almost very similar, though. But do they have a mattress, or is no, it, it just a cover? It's a cover for the mattress, but the mattress is covered in something else that you then zip around this thing on top. It's not just sitting there. It's zipped around. It doesn't, like, slide around. What I'm getting it. at, do you need to use their mattress, or I, could you use a yeah, regular mattress? Initially, I think you had to use their thing. I think they've now created something you can cover other mattresses oh, with. Yeah. okay. I, they just started advertising it. Yeah, so. that's a big thing. A lot of these uh, Tim Ferriss-type dudes are always into... Those uh, chilly mattresses. I, I, I used it for a brief amount of time, and I think there was some benefit in it, but I stopped using it. Yeah, well, I could barely sleep last night in my hotel because it, well, it was warm, and I had to rip all the I did a show last night at uh, Vulcan Gas Company, and then we went to Golden Tiger, which is maybe the best fucking cheeseburgers in the world, and I had two of those bitches, two double cheeseburgers at one in the morning. Not the best move, right? It's definitely the wrong move. I ate them in 30 seconds, too. I wolfed through those fuckers. And then uh, I woke up in the middle of the night drenched with sweat. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? The, yeah, the, the food and the meat sweat. So yeah. I, 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 I wore one of these rings um, that you can measure your sleep with. Aura ring? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, I figured out pretty quickly what would disturb my sleep. And more than a sip of alcohol will do it, obviously. But also food. If I ate late, it was terrible. I didn't yeah. get into that deep sleep, which is... You know, Matt Walker says is, is the right. thing to get into. Because your body's always dealing with the food that you've digested. Yeah, and I think if you lie down and it's still <clears> in your stomach, I'm guessing gravity just barely gets it out of there. I'm guessing, yeah. I was just so hungry. <laughs> and, and after I do shows, I'm so indulgent. I just want to eat. You know, I'm, I'm t- I, I did an hour and a half on stage. I just want to go eat, you know. Did you have a drink as well? I think I had a couple. Because yeah, that, yeah. that, that for me is, now I don't care about food. I mean, I'm, I'm going to eat if I have a little drink. That's it's fuck it juice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a couple of, I had a couple of whiskeys. And then uh, two giant cheeseburgers. But it was a great time with some nice people. I had a lot of fun. Well, you've got to live. I mean, this, this, is, yeah. this is my mantra as well. If you're always too strict, you won't stick to it. Yes. So 
for everybody who tries, if you if you don't do it the first time, try again. Be go easy on yourself, but but do it for yourself in the future. It's gonna pay off. Maybe dec- a decade or two of extra healthy life. Yeah, there was a great podcast that I did recently with uh, Ethan Suplee. How did I say it? Suplee or Suplee? Suplee. Ethan is an actor, and at one point in time, he was more than 500 pounds. And uh, now, he looks like a football player. Now, he looks amazing. I mean, he looks like an athlete. He's like this big, like muscular, healthy guy. That's him. Look at that. Look at the difference between him on the left and him on the right. I mean, substantial. I mean, really, really impressive. But what he's done um, on top of all this uh, exercise and diet and you know taking care of himself is uh express himself and talk about what the struggle was like and part of it was like at one point in time he had lost so much weight that he had to get his skin cut you know and removed and then he gained 100 pounds so he goes back and forth and back and forth and he did this over like 20 years till he got to where he is now and he's a really really bright guy super smart dude so it's it's it has nothing to do with intelligence like willpower and intelligence, they're not necessarily directly related. And willpower doesn't even like cover all of it because there's so much weird psychological shit that's going on with people that do things that they know are bad, but they keep doing it anyway, whether it's cigarettes or gambling. Yeah. The or limbic what. system is powerful. People are crazy. But he got it dialed in, and it's a massive inspiration to people because you see him now. And, you know, anybody that would say like, you know, you shouldn't talk badly uh, about obesity. You shouldn't say that obesity is bad because you're going to make people's feelings hurt when they're obese. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to inspire you to try to achieve what that guy's done, what my friend Laura's done, to with what many people that I know have done. I'm trying to inspire people to because it's possible. You're alive. You're breathing. You're moving around. Can you do all those things? You can get to a better place. And once you do that, you will have extreme satisfaction. And I think you'll also have the the knowledge that you are capable of great feats. That you can do this great thing. To lose 270 pounds like Ethan did, my God, that's an incredible thing. Because that's a, that's a mountain that you chop down over years. This is not an easy thing to get to. For years and years and years, he slowly avoided temptation and and then even fucked up and gained all this weight again. And then slowly got back down again. And now he's at a completely healthy weight where he looks amazing. Yeah, well, one of the things I'd like to figure out is uh, if you lose a lot of weight, how far back does your biological clock go? go yes. With? And I, I would suspect it has a big difference on your actual age is to lose all that weight. Oh, my God. For a guy like him, I would love to do that swab with him at 500 and do yeah. that swab with him at 250 and see the difference. Well, next time there's somebody on your show who wants to try that, let's we could do that. Well, it's just so hard for to get someone to commit to losing an astronomical amount of weight like that. Yeah. But it's also, it's you know, you, you need help. And you need help from either counseling or coaches or loved ones or friends or someone that can kind of like help you along too because it's it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, and actually your social circle has been shown to work against you in many cases. Uh, so really? So Ray, Ray I m- mentioned, he said that when he works with his clients, um, I think it's okay to mention that Pen, Pen Gillette has lost a lot of weight thanks yes. to Ray. Uh, and he found that you shouldn't tell people that you're trying to lose weight because 
there'll come a point where they say, you've lost too much weight. You Who should eat something. Who the fuck are those people? Friends. Assholes. Yeah. Maybe they don't like the fact that you look better than them. Yeah, look at you, David. Looking all good. You lost too much weight. Your head's too big Looking for your body too now. Skinny, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Those people are assholes. You need better friends. Good friends will tell you, dude, this is fucking amazing. Let's celebrate with cheesecake. No. Once in a while. But it's also been shown that if you have good friends and a partner that you love who you can trust, you live longer by a lot. That makes sense. Lonely people, that's got to be like a painful existence. It's the, the feeling of, you know, that's why like the, the concept of incels, you know, involuntary celibates, like that is one of the most depressing things in our culture. These angry people online, like, like big grown up man babies that no one wants to fuck. Like, that's <laughs> terrible, right? That's it's one of those saddest horrible. things. It does sound horrible. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the issue that um, um, we do need friends and we need partners to take care of us when we're older. Yeah. But I think generally the reason that my guess that pe those people live a long time, and it's a fact that they live a long, longer, is that you're countering cortisol levels. When you're stressed out and worried and, and you don't have a lot of friends, you, you have these stress hormones, and cortisol is the worst one, the insidious one that causes you to age more rapidly. Mm. And cortisol is just stress? Yeah. Stress Men mental causes, stress. Mental stress causes cortisol. Yeah, and I want to be really clear, Joe, that, that when I talk about adversity and stress on the body, hormesis, right. it's not the same as mental stress. This is very different. Just we use the same English word for it, unfortunately. But there is some benefit in... Um, I don't want to use the word stress, but difficult tasks for the mind, right? What challenge, is, yeah. Challenge and purpose. So the, is the difference that cortisol is released by the body under situations of uncontrollable stress or, 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 or situations where things are unmanageable or you've gotten past your breaking point? Like what is the difference between the stress that one, uh, one experiences through cortisol or where cortisol is released versus the stress of, say, like high level chess playing, you know, where this is obviously very beneficial to the mind. You know, it's an exercise, in fact. Well, I think what you said is right. From my understanding of the science, is that if you reach a tipping point and you have real anxiety, that's going to secrete cortisol. But being focused and having a high focus on what you're doing um, and taking your mind to the next level, even if the, your heart rate goes up a little bit, that challenge to the body and the mind, uh, my understanding is that doesn't doesn't release a lot of cortisol. But um, the hormesis effect, it's a U-shaped curve that once you get a little bit of intensity and biological stress and even um, mental stress, it's a good thing, but you go over a tipping point and then it becomes bad again. Same thing with physical exercise, right? Like those people that run the ultra marathons, after it's over, they're wrecked because yeah. they've gone too far. Right. Actually, hormesis, there's a, the way it was discovered was people were spraying herbicides on plants and they kept diluting them down. And everyone thinks, you know, the, the, the less you have, uh, the less it'll work. But the plants that got the really low dose, this is not um, homeopathy, this is real science. Plants got low dose herbicide that would kill a, a plant at high doses, grew better than the untreated plants. Hmm. And so what you want to do, even if you're a plant, is to experience adversity, whether it's a plant like a grapevine making wine, it's a little bit dried out or fungus, they make the best wines, they make these molecules that I call xenohormetic molecules, xeno meaning cross-species 
hormetic hormesis. And we get the benefits of plants that are biologically stressed out or have adversity without actually having to do it ourselves. So I, I try to eat plants that are, have color in them, have been stressed, organic, not grown in a perfect greenhouse condition. Now, why do plants that are, are uh, have color in them, what is the, is that just they contain more vitamins? Well, so the color is partly good for you. There are some um, anthocyanidins that are, that are healthy that have color, but it's more of an indicator dye, an indicator color that the plants have been stressed. Um, so for instance, if you shine UV light on a lot of plants, they'll turn bluish uh, or reddish if they're green. And that's their way of resisting UV. And that color is an indicator. Interesting. Um, and when your body's releasing cortisol because of the high stress that you're in, this unmanageable stress, that is also one of the benefits of exercise that you can actually reduce that cortisol. You could reduce that physical stress, right? Absolutely. Exercise uh, is one of the best ways to get out of uh, depression and just general anxiety. I use it a lot for myself. Uh, you know, it's a stressful job what I do. Um, and the exercise, a little bit of running, a bit of weightlifting, I feel like a new person. And that's cheap therapy. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's one of those things that if you can just write down a routine and force yourself to do it, in the beginning, you'll still be stressed out. It'll be hard to concentrate. You'll be like, ah, oh, fucking everything sucks. But if you just keep going, if you just keep going, and when you get through the routine, you will literally experience during a one-hour exercise routine the actual alleviation of stress. You will experience it. Yeah, it melts away. It'll melt yeah. away. And then as long as you actually are rigidly, you got you to gotta rigorously exercise. You got to really get after it. But at the end of that thing, you're like, it's going to be okay. Like, yeah, man, it's going to be okay. Give me a hug. You know, everybody's all right. That, I love that. It's my favorite thing. I, I, the feeling of a post-workout bliss is just a beautiful bliss. It's like, you know, it's just you, you, you have much fresher, cleaner perspective on things. And you don't just feel physically great. Mentally, it's, yeah, I, I did that. Yes. I've achieved something. That's so important. Yeah. That's important for people. I think people, it's entirely too easy to get through life for most folks. And I think we're not wired for that. We're wired for overcoming great odds and obstacles. I think human beings are wired for predator attacks and all kinds of shit. And we're worried about things that are real that are, and when they don't happen, I think we fucking stress ourselves out about little things. Somebody said something once, I forget who said it, but it's a great expression and I like to repeat it all the time and I wish I could attribute it to that person. But they said, the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you even if it's not much. You gotta always remember that. Human beings respond to the worst thing that's ever happened to them. If the worst thing that's ever happened to you is your mom took your phone away when you're 16 and you're a brat, you know, like, you're like, fuck it, mom! What the fuck, mom, this is bullshit! Like, that is a person with no character because this is the worst thing that can happen to the spoiled baby is his mom took his phone away from him. Whereas, if you grew up in war-torn Serbia, if you, you know, if whatever, you've had a very difficult life on the farm, you've been uh, wrestling since you're 10 years old and you're preparing for tournaments all the time, that kind of person has experienced a level of stress and difficulty that makes normal situations in life far more easy to manage. 100%. And you can see that in, in generations. Even before us, the, there was the greatest generation. Um, my grandmother grew up in... World War II depression, and, we, and, and she never got stressed. For her, 
there was nothing that could compare to that. I became a different person after I saw my mother die in front of me and I couldn't do anything but whisper into her ear that she was the best mom I could ever have. After that, nothing was as bad as that. You know, I, I would have a bad day at work and I'd come home, how was your day? Everyone would ask at home and I'd say, nobody died today, it was a good day. And that sets the baseline, right? Once you've gone through something like that, every day is a good day. Yeah, every day is a good day. If you could, if you could stay on this earth and enjoy your friends and enjoy your loved ones and do something that you actually in, that you actually love and get satisfaction out of, for an occupation, find a purpose. Yes, right. It, if you have a purpose in life, you live longer. Okay, so you, I say, find a purpose, do that, make money. If you're the expert in the world at something, you will naturally earn money at it. So just do what you love. Live longer. It's a win-win. Yeah. And you'll enjoy yourself. It's just so many people, unfortunately, get so stuck in whatever path they were initially on that it's so difficult for them to course correct. They get stuck where they develop debt. They got a lease for a car and they got a mortgage and they got a this and a that. And then they have a family independence and then they're, they're moving up the corporate ladder and the company needs you, Mike. The company relies on you. You're a big asset to the company. And then you're like, shit, I really wish I was a pianist. I really love playing piano. I, w I wish I just stuck with that. I could have been in a concert. -da 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 -da. I could have been fucking Elton John. Shit. And then, you know. Right. Well, one of the, the things that I think has gotten me to this point in my career, I, I started my career when I was four years old. My grandmother said, do something important. So I said, you know, That's I'll, kind of amazing. I'll stop people from getting you old. You remember that when yeah, you were four a, years old? I remember the exact moment. What did she like? How did she say I know it? where I was, what we were doing, what the carpet felt like. Wow. Uh, she said, David, um, no, I asked her. I said, yeah, Vera, I didn't call her by her first name because she had the fuck you gene. Excuse my <laughs> language. Uh, Vera. I didn't call her a grandma. I called her by Vera. Vera. You uh, called her Vera? Yeah. She just wanted to be called by her name. Really? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. She's very rebellious. Um, I guess. One of our kids has the same FU gene. It's been quite interesting there. But that's a different <laughs> You really do think it's a gene? I'm sorry. Is no, this the, the child that's a baby? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my grandmother, uh, I said, are you going to always be around? She said, not going to die. What do you mean you're going to die? She says, everything that you love, your pet, cat, uh, me, uh, your parents, and you are going to die. And it's not going to be pretty. And as a four-year-old, that, that really freaks you out. And that was a turning point in my life. I said, that's not fair. And then I, you know, over the, the next few years, I thought, that's, that's cruel to have conscious consciousness, a species that knows that's going to happen, the future seer species, and be burdened with that knowledge that everything that you love is going to die in many cases horribly. So I decided at age four to make that my purpose. And I've been working back from that goal ever since and figuring out how to get there, get a PhD, come to America, MIT, Harvard, make discoveries, go on a podcast. Wow. What a wild moment. A four-year-old looking up at his beloved grandmother that doesn't want to be called grandma. <laughs> and then she hits you with something that really affects the whole course of your life at four. Which is so crazy. Anyone who knew her knew she was a special person. So I, I'm not just making this up. She really, she's, uh, yeah, I could, I could, you know, get a bit weepy here if I talk too much about her. But she didn't want to talk about the small stuff. She didn't care about politics or the weather. She just wanted to talk about philosophy and history and the, making humans better because she saw the worst of humanity. 
Nazis, Russians coming in, crushing the revolution in Hungary. She had to flee for her life with my father. She had my father when she was 15 years old. So that were already, she's a rebel. Wow. Um, and then she, she got to Australia. She fled Europe. And I was born. And she said, I'm going to pour love into this child, me, and uh, and make him the vehicle to change the world, for to make it a better place. Dude, you make me cry. Yeah, it, it is. Now you understand why I jump out of bed every morning to, to do what I do. Wow. That's heavy. And it's it's heavy also that through horrible tragedy and the, the, the worst part of human nature, through genocide and war, that she comes out of it, the other end, determined to only concentrate on important things and good, only focus on what's significant, and then to look at you and to think that you can really change this place. I think you can, man. I think she's right. I mean, I think you've you've honored her with your choices. I'm trying every day. Thanks, Joe. Now we're crying. Not really. But you know, I'm I think crying. that these loved ones, <clears throat> our our uh, our ancestors, our, our grandparents, you know, it, it's a tragedy when we lose them. Yeah. And so I I just want people to have an extra year two years 10 years with their parents and grandparents and that's that's a, it, it, it's real personal it's not about the economy it's not about you know populating the planet overpopulating the planet it's that what would you give for an extra few weeks with with your wife yeah it's also optimizing the quality of the time while they're still alive which is so important as well like just because someone's alive and in a vegetative state just sitting in the corner drooling for the next 15, 20 years while they're still alive. I experienced that with my grandmother, unfortunately. My grandmother had a stroke when I was young. She had an aneurysm, and uh, no one was home, and she fell down and was in the backyard, and by the time they found her, she had been there for quite a while, and they gave her 72 hours to live. They're like, you know, prepare. It's not gonna, she's not going to make it, and she made it for 12 years, and it was rough. And um, when I moved to New York when I was 24 or something like that, I, um, I stayed with my grandfather in, in New Jersey and my grandmother. And so she was under, she had bed care and she couldn't, she can't move. She couldn't go anywhere. You know, she's paralyzed. And um, she would moan in agony and occasionally she would talk and, I remember my grandmother when I was young. She was this like really eccentric, interesting lady who uh, always home cooked all of her food, like home cooked her pasta, made her own sauce, and and she was just an interesting lady. She's just a uh, a really unique lady. And then to see her in this, and she was so fiery, and she was always like yelling about things, and she's always passionate about things. And then to see her completely immobile for the last 12 years of her life. And then when I moved to New, New Jersey, well, I stayed in New Jersey for a while with them trying to save up money for an apartment. And when I was doing that, um, I just got to see firsthand, like really clearly, like this life doesn't end well. And then it, and, it, and it can end the way it ended for my grandmother in a terrible way where she was just in agony. And it just, it was me really the beginning 
of a new stage in my life where I was signed by a manager who's still my manager to this day as a comedian and I was embarking on this like very promising aspect of my life. I was very excited. It was a new beginning. And I'm here I am. And then I move to my grandfather's place and stay with him and my grandmother and I'm watching her die. And she's dying slowly. And it's ugly. It's ugly. I would just hear in the middle of the night just Wah. you could just hear her moan. It wasn't a big house. You could hear everything. And it was uh, just a reminder, man, like, you got to get going. This thing doesn't last, and you don't want regrets. You don't want any regrets. That's right. And we're all going to die one day. Yeah. And we're going to think, was it a life well lived or not? Yeah. Was it a life well lived? And did you learn? Did you learn from your mistakes? You're going to make mistakes. Don't define yourself by them. But did you learn? And, and, and are you on the path to optimize yourself? We, uh, did you become the best person you could be? With what you're giving, right? Yeah, yeah. And if not, why? And if not, do it now. Yeah, you can't change the past. You know, a lot of us would. I would love to go back and correct some of the things I've done, um, particularly things if I hurt people's feelings. But you can't. So what do you do? You gotta keep going, and you gotta learn and honor your mistakes and who you were, and feel that pain and recognize that. Regret is very valuable because regret teaches you that there's a real, there's a cost to mistakes. There's a tangible feeling that coincides with knowing you did the wrong thing or you fucked up or you, you made an error. Learn from that and use it as fuel and be the best person that you could be. And it's possible for everybody to do that. Everybody can improve. It's not impossible. This is not, this is not unsurmountable. And even if it's just incremental improvements in the quality of the relationships that you have or in the way you interact with people at work or in the, in the amount of exercise you get in in a week or in how you stick to your diet, all those little incremental steps, as we were talking about earlier, the little shift of a couple of degrees of the, the path of a boat over the course of the entire journey, it's going in a completely different direction now. You're a way better person. This is one of the things that I concentrate on probably more than anything in my life. It's just trying to trying to just be the best person I can. Yeah, well, you're an inspiration to millions of us. Uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. We try. Listen, yeah. man, you are, you are in a weird position right now. You really can just imagine if you kept people alive for an extra 10, 15 years, and those people that you kept alive had an incredible impact on the way our culture is formed because they've drawn from their lifetime of experience and all the things that they've learned and they've expanded on that and had the opportunity because they stayed alive for 20 extra years or 30 extra years to spread that to so many other people that also learned and it has this overwhelming effect on everybody right yeah we can do way better as a species but we have to use these four traits that that I think make us different that got us in the in this place, uh, in the in the first place, and we are capable individually of doing amazing things. You got to take some risks. I live by the mantra of do doing at least one thing that scares me every day. Often ten of ten of. What'd them. you do today that scares you? Um, I'm I'm not scared to come on your podcast, but what did I do that was scary? Oh, I was investing some money 
dun, 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 that I could lose and it Doge all. Dogecoin? Did you go crazy? No, I won't, I, in case the SEC is listening. But uh, yeah, I, I invested <laughs> money. Uh, but yeah, it's that kind of thing. Even if it's just an email to somebody that I'm afraid that they'll say no to mm. me, uh, I'll send that off. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting better at it. I manage my stress, but I, I've always been quite a nervous, insecure person um, deep down. Uh, and pushing myself to do things that I wouldn't actually do has been the best decision I ever made. Yeah, there's not a lot of growth in comfort. That's a that's an important lesson for people. But also, here's an even more important lesson. The comfort that you get after growth is so much more enjoyable. Because like, if you've gone through difficult things, especially self-imposed difficulties, the comfort that you get afterwards... Like when you can actually earn relaxation. When I plop down on the couch after a long, hard day and I watch some TV, it's like, ah, I can relax. I really feel good. I enjoy this. It feels good. Instead of feeling like I'm wasting time. You earned it. Yeah. Yeah. What's that sound? I heard it too. Like a fan. Yeah. Do you hear it when this thing's off? Oh, it's my computer. Damn. It's blowing hard. Oh. It's oh, explode. It's, I don't know. Was that your laptop? Yeah, it's the fan on it. It's old. It is old. Them old laptops. Uh-huh. But those don't the new ones don't have the right connections, right? Uh they might. I don't know. I haven't looked at the brand the brand new one they just announced. I don't know. I was thinking about it. But yeah, yeah. Sorry. I think we did three hours already, believe it or not. That flew past. We just used up three hours of our lives. We used it, but we uh, we got out something that I think will benefit a lot of people. Is there anything else you think that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about? Uh, I would like to mention, often people ask how they can help my research. Um, and so if you go to SinclairLab.com, you can help us there. We donate. Donate a few bucks. That's all. And we can do amazing things. Okay. I'm in. Well, I'll donate. SinclairLab.com. Thank Let's you, go. sir. There it is right there. The Sinclair Lab, nice, beautiful. Support our research, bam, very clean. And you are on all the social media platforms, right? You're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. How do people find you on those? Uh, so uh, Twitter is David Sinclair PhD, um, no, David A. Sinclair, and then uh, Instagram is David Sinclair PhD. Well, listen, my friend, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate you very much, and I really, really appreciate what you do. I appreciate awesome. you too, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye, everybody.